Oh, 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 cheeky monkeys. Get on with it. Toffee, toffee. It's black cap. Hashtag Buckheaders. That's magnificent. Hello, John. Up and down. Well done. Bye bye. Come on! Hello and welcome to Burkamp Wonderland. We are kind of an Arsenal podcast for the first two games we're going to talk about, but not the third game. That game we deny all knowledge of being an Arsenal podcast. Right, with me tonight, first of all, it's Sophie from the left-hand side of the US of A. You all right, Sophie? I'm all right. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. I was listening to your podcast a little bit earlier. Do you want to tell people the name of your podcast? They should know. They should have subscribed, but tell them anyway. They should have. We're still somehow trying to find a, a larger audience, but that's okay. It's a bur- it's a, a, not a Burkamp Wonderland. No, it's, it's Highbury Squad, and it's with myself and Amanda and uh, Kevin Campbell. And super, we just super. had the great Ian Stone on there, so check us out. Yeah, And that's Ian Stone from the Tuesday Club and the Athletic Podcast that has the worst named Arsenal podcast in the history of Arsenal podcasts. A, a little bit handbrake off. I think Wenger said that once and they've called a podcast after it. And when you've got people like Stoney and Amy Lawrence and James and a couple of one and Dilly Dixon, magnificent people. They should have a magnificent name. Someone at the Athletic. Should we try and come up with a new name for them and put it out there? The Amy Lawrence podcast. Amy and Dicko. There you go. I was going to say Lee Dixon gets angry at everything. That's a good name for it. <laughs> well, Lawrence was a good poet, right? So that's, she she waxes lyrical about football. So that could be the Lawrence podcast or the Lawrence show. But anyway, is, I digress. Yes, we do. Dandy in the chat said, who died? Well, lots of people. Shit. Wow. Is all that how bad we look? <laughs> it's all day. Every day people are dropping dead. You have to be a little bit more. There's, there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet dropping like flies, depending on where you are. Right. Also, from the right-hand side of the US of A, it's John from, is it called 305 Cast, John? It's not, is it? It's the yeah, Miami. It's like, nick- it's like a nickname for it. It's the Arsenal Miami podcast, but we call it 305 Cast. Right. Good. I was on it this week with John. <laughs> Sophie's giving it the hand. She, got it. she gets it. <laughs> yeah, so I was on with John this week. We had a, we had a about forty five minute chat, and then I, I'm so vain. I listened back to it and then realised he added five minutes at the beginning where we was doing the uh, a little, little intro to it, which I thought that's that's a nice touch. We don't think of doing that if we don't do it live. We don't do it at all. We're too lazy to add new stuff at the beginning. It's all I can do just to add the intro and outro. That that wears me out. <laughs> John's beard is epic, by the way. That is one beautifully crafted piece of art right Thank there. Thank you so much. Thank you. It, wow. You know, I, I, I try not to shave it as much. It's like my playoff beard for the for this quarantine. You know, I'm not going to even touch it. Until Don't touch it. Don't touch I it until won't. after the FA Cup final. I'm not even going to. Yeah. Fair. Okay. All fair. right. Cool. All right. My good. beard was quite long. And I'm sitting in bed the other day and I was, was itching. Like this, there was something stuck on me here. And I pulled it off, and it was a lump of chili sauce. And then I felt it in my beard, and it dripped down my beard onto my chest. And I don't know how many days it had been there. And I thought, time for the beard to go. Do you have any food problems in your beard, John? Or do you do, you do wash? Oh, I do, and I use like you know oil and stuff. You got to keep it. Got to keep it nice. You're on the wrong podcast. You need to be on the Hipsters podcast with Chris yeah. and Josh. I That's guess. True. Yeah. <laughs> Talking um, of uh, people with dodgy, fa- dodgy facial hair that are now no longer allowed within twenty square miles of any schools, it's uh, it's our Josh, our cheeky. Hey, yeah, beards aren't cool anymore. Sorry, John. It's all uh, about <laughs> <that now. laughs> I'll just shave it. Yeah, we, no, yours will be better than mine. That's the problem. 
I can't be having that. At, <laughs> least, I've got the best That's at least I've got the best moustache on the, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Sophie. Well, I don't know. I don't know, mate. I mean, you haven't seen <laughs> you mine up close, just a little bit. <laughs> Depends on whether there's been a two-for-one on the Veet. Sophie can beat you or not. <laughs> Are, hey, we've been in lockdown you can imagine yeah. like what's oh, going on there. i don't know what's going on oh, over there but you're dear god hilarious but yes danny it is nice to be on and thank god i didn't <laughs> have to do the villa podcast to bring it back onto uh onto football. Jace. jace and richard and ellis they did that i'd have turned it on and gone what? so what see you later they that was the short he was wrapping up after <laughs> half an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, what a terrible we're not going to talk about that anyway oh so I found out here that um, Alexander says your your pod title says death of the king I honestly thought an Arsenal legend had passed no it's uh, is it um, is it Shakespeare the, the, the king is dead long live the king or something like that I just thought well because Pep was the king and the new king is Arteta as we have seen and that has brought us brilliantly into talking <laughs> about the Liverpool game Sophie, your thoughts on the the Liverpool game? The only notes I've made for this are, um, what do you think were the key points and did you expect it? Uh, Okay, so believe me or not, and you can go back and look at the record, but I I actually put a tweet out where I said I fancied us against Liverpool. I don't know. You know, sometimes you wake up on on game day and there's a vibe and you feel it in your stomach and... There was something about the pursuit of the 100 for Liverpool that I felt that was their last kind of trying to really solidify them as the supposed greatest team ever in the Premier League. If we look at the evidence, they were going for the quadruple when it all started. They get knocked out the FA Cup. They get knocked out of uh, the League Cup. They get they get knocked out of um, the Champions League against Atletico in really quite a dominating way. And then what was left for them was this pursuit of the 100. But also, if we rewind a little bit further into the season, it was the pursuit of invincibility and how everybody was lauding them and the media was lauding them that this was going to be the case. And everyone kind of looked to this game against Arsenal was maybe the game that the original Invincibles and the only team in the Premier League to have that gold Premier League trophy could stop them. Now, we didn't stop them from becoming invincible, but we did stop them from reaching that landmark that they wanted to surpass against Manchester City. And I don't care how you splice it or what people say, Klopp wanted to win that game really badly. They had their best team out, barring Jordan Henderson starting. And I don't care what happened in the Villa game. The two games I think Arteta really wanted to make a statement against and the two areas, uh, one area where you could argue that most Arsenal fans say that we lack impotence mentally, we lack drive, we lack engagement, we lack that full 90 minutes of soaking up pressure or then taking a lead and finishing off a game is against any top six team. And what we did against Liverpool was an absolute masterclass. Now, did we get lucky in certain instances? Yes. But there are other teams that have had two shots on goal versus 22 of their opposing team and they've been lauded for a defensive masterclass. And I think that um, Arteta learned a lot in his lesson from the first game when we came back from Project Restart with City and then he learned a lot against that game um, with Tottenham. That loss actually helped us, I think, and galvanised us to do better in the Liverpool and City game. So 
I, I'm not going to say I sat here and I predicted it, but I did fancy us in that game. And I think we delivered on every level and we put in a defensive performance that we've all been dreaming of, to be honest with you. We've lacked so much of that. And to come out of that performance and beat the supposed best team in Europe, I thought was a phenomenal result. Yeah, I was massively impressed with it. And I actually was clapping my hands and squealing like like a little girl meeting um, Chris for the first time. I was, uh, it was an amazing thing to see, wasn't it, John? What was your thoughts on the game? And did you, like Sophie, kind of think we have a chance here? And like, Sophie brought up a really good point there where she said the from after the Project Restart began, um, Arteta has learned and adapted the way that we play football already for when we're taking on Liverpool and later on Man City and what a defensive performance that would do we have like 31 percent possession yeah yes what are your thoughts on the game were you massively impressed uh yes and unlike uh i i did not have any expectations going into it i definitely did not think we were (laughs) going to win that one yeah so i mean in retrospect probably the the writing might have been on the wall but at least for what i was looking in terms of coming into that game especially off of the 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 north london derby it was very very disappointing although we have seen this arsenal side been able to bounce back before not necessarily with arteta but just these group of players because we know they have it in them when they go down they can come back and and put on performance we did it under emery all the time and it kind of kept that train going for a while so I definitely saw the uh, the possibility of it happening, but in terms of whether I thought it was actually realistic that we could get a result, and not only just get a result, the kind of result that we got in the defensive performance that we gave, I I absolutely did not think that that we were we were going to do it. So I was ap- I was really really happy, um, and we saw a lot of players that might have been what we would consider on the fringes for a while, especially with like Louise. Uh, and, and that all of a sudden kind of come in and make a statement, which is important because we ha- we hear about all these players like Louise and and their importance in the locker room and 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 kind of uh, that's being one of the reasons why we probably gave him an extension uh, for his contract. And when you're looking at performances like that, you can kind of get a sense of maybe why that happened, whether you agree with it or not. You at least can look at that performance and see, all right, this is a launching point for us potentially going forward. And uh, we'll talk about the city match as well. But I think that. That it was it was good for the confidence of this team more so than anything I think and you're absolutely right I think it was a it was a stamp that Arteta placed that really kind of expounded on this fact that he's adapting to this league and learning what to do with these players and what they're capable of. Yeah, I've gone, Josh. I was going to say the Lacazette goal I think is the huge turning point on that entire game because it's not just any Liverpool player that makes a mistake; it's Virgil Van Dijk. You know the apparent god to centre-backs. You know, Sergio Ramos apparently, you know, walks in his shadow, according to certain people on uh, Merseyside. So to, for him to, you could see that almost the rest of the Liverpool team went, what? Virgil van Dijk made a mistake. And they just completely fell apart from that. And you could see that he kind of sets the standard for them, especially as I think he was captain that night as well with Henderson, I think, well, I don't rate Henderson as a player, but we can avoid the fact that he wasn't on the field. So I'm pretty sure it was Van Dyke that was was there. The fact that he makes that mistake, I think, is huge. It's huge for us and our belief. Because then we start running at him and we're realizing we can get, get through from this. You know, plucky little Nelson has gone and, you know, toppled Van Dyke to get past him and lay in Lacazette. So yeah, I think it's superb. The pressure we put on them, like, you know, any other teams getting lauded for that. You're right, Josh. The, the, the manner in which we scored our two goals, 
um, I think is a testament to Arteta's coaching up, being adaptable. And the players, though, more than anything, and I think this is the key to the new Arsenal DNA potentially under Arteta, is they're listening and they're soaking up what he's saying. And you're seeing, um, I think the Villa game is an example of two a team being exhausted after going to war with two giants, you know, in, in, in the space of 10 days. But what, what he's done and the adaptability of this team and what he's shown for them to show that type of integrity and that pressing, I think is really huge because we've not seen our team respond. And I think him getting them to respond is massive. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, think... Oh, Sorry, I was going to ask Sophie a question when you're done. Oh, I was going to um, say, I think that's the same thing we saw against Spurs, to be honest. That last 20 minutes was a team that was mentally fatigued. You know, Mustafi didn't suddenly become a bad player. You know, he's just spent three or four games being, you know, just mentally fit, mentally sharp, and he just lost that. And I think we saw the same from Kalasinic as well. And it's why, you know, we didn't see Kalasinic's feature in the Liverpool game. We saw Tierney instead. And we saw Saka in that kind of hybrid role. And there were so many nice little little details in this game, more so than just, you know, the fact that Liverpool were a little bit hungover and went to the tried and tested, give it to the full backs and they'll just put in a thousand crosses. Um, the fact that we're also helped with the fact that Mane and Salah don't seem to want to pass to each other anymore. They just couldn't create anything through the middle. So it's where I was kind of pleased for us to beat Liverpool. I thought City would be a completely different game because of how they come straight through the middle and how they've got that creativity to break down sides. But yeah, Danny, you want to... Oh, John, do you want to make a point, John? And then I've got a question for Sophie that she brought up a really interesting point on her part. Yeah, just really briefly to piggyback on this conversation that we're having. Um, one other thing that I think is extremely important, we kind of touched on it, uh, is the, the mental effect that this and the confidence that this is going to have on these players. When you know that you could go against the best team in Europe and get a result, and then uh, I, without even talking about City, just looking at Liverpool, I think that a lot of that result was allowed us to get a result against City as well because we knew that we could do it if, if they just followed Arteta, if they just knew where they were supposed to be, and if they followed the game plan, then they'd be able to get a result. So psychologically, I think it was a really important win. Yeah, listen to the manager and we're going to do well. So if you put up a point on your pod, I'm not sure who said it, but one of you said that the players had given up and then one of you asked Kevin Campbell, you don't give up, do you? And Kevin Campbell, what, what, who said what and what was the Kevin Campbell's point? In in the um, in which game? In the Liverpool game? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Someone said they've, uh, yeah, they, Liverpool weren't playing up to their full because they won the league and they'd kind of given up and then Kevin Campbell went, no. Yeah, Kevin and I were totally not on board with that because I think it was Amanda and who was on the show that, that day? I can't remember. But I, I just want to piggyback, before I kind of sweep into this, it goes into this too with what John was saying. We can beat Liverpool and we can beat City. But in order for our team to evolve and truly get on a new path to being competitive in the league again, it's all about consistency. You can't beat Liverpool, you can't beat City and then go and lose to Aston Villa. In this, in this realm we're in right now with Arsenal, we understand that that's possible. But in order for us to evolve and get better, we've got to move past that. 
And I think it was a lesson for Arteta to get back to earth a little bit after two insane performances and say, hmm, as much as I think some of these plays have improved under me, are they enough for me to get Arsenal to the next level? And to go back to your question as well, Danny, is Liverpool wanted to win that game badly. They wanted to win it to, to put a, a, an asterisk against their name, not on the on the side of people thinking Project Restart, it's different, you've won the league and it's different, you know, we've come back, football's different. They wanted to put an asterisk on being the best, rec- best recorded team in history to win the Premier League. They failed at that. They failed at the treble. They failed at going invincible. So this game, Danny, was really super important to them. And, and, and Casey and I truly believe that that when you looked at Klopp's reaction, guys, his his facial expressions, he was flawed. He was actually not expecting that. He didn't and know there's, what to do, did there's he? that level of arrogance that Lampard was talking about. Whoa, this is happening to my team, <laughs> my Liverpool? What? This Arsenal bag of shit that everyone's been talking about? Yes, Arteta's doing that to you, mate. And you know damn well you wanted to win this game. Don't think for a second they took their foot off the gas or they had their towels at the beach. No way. They wanted to win that badly. Josh, do you think the um, – Sophie said that um, because uh, you don't go and beat those who then lose to Villa. Do you think there's a teeny-weeny little excuse, the fact that we played five really important games in the space of 12 days or whatever, how many days? Do you think that it could be the only way that Pep's going to – I mean – Pep, because I'm just highlighting his messages, that Arteta could maybe let them off, give them a little bit of slack because of that, because that's been not only a hell of a running, but against some massively important teams, hasn't it? I don't think Arteta's the kind of man that will... I think he'll go in hard on them, but not as hard as he would. No Because of the fact that we... Yeah, absolutely. He's, He's not smashing pelts and pans everywhere to go and, you know, really read them the riot act. I think He's still obviously clearly been disappointed, but if we look at other teams in the league, since the restart, obviously we had that game in hand that we had to play, and we've also played two FA Cup fixtures in that time. Maybe three? Two. After Man City? Is it two? Yeah, Sheffield United. Sheffield yeah. United. Bournemouth was prior, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so you played two more. So that is, yeah, three fixtures more mm-hmm. than Aston Villa have played. And this isn't an Aston Villa side, although I think, as Sophie said, that Liverpool wanted to win that game. I think there was already part of them in the back of their head that, you know, I saw three seasons ago a Brighton side who had been promoted before games to play and they could have won the title. They were all hung over when they came out for their next game, mainly because I saw some of their players out drinking. So I could definitely say that that's what they were doing. But... I think there was something missing from that Liverpool side that we played in general. I can't say what it was, but there was just something intangible that they weren't at 100%. Did they take us for granted, do you think? I think they definitely took us for granted because we've been a pushover prior to that. They saw what happened at uh, the last 20 minutes of us at not White Hart Lane or whatever it's called now, that they could get at us and our fullbacks were a problem. Uh, they could get in behind, Mane and Salah could have it, but they just didn't expect us to mark them out of the game. It's so, so funny. It's so funny how we can't, that we've been so bad 
that when we're mm. good, we can't give ourselves credit. We mm. look at the other team and what they failed to do versus what we did really well. And I really, truly believe in this in this game, if Salah, Mane, Firmino, Van Dijk, Alexander, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold weren't playing, I'd say yes. But this is the same team that's been lauded, Josh, all season for being completely, insanely the best team supposedly ever that we've seen. Van Dyke has been compared to the Vidic and the Ferdinands and the Adams and the mm. John Terrys of the world as the greatest defender with only winning one title. Like, I think we need to just take a step back and say, we out coach them in this match. And it's okay for us to think mm. that without thinking we're going overboard, saying that we're better than Liverpool. I think that's... Mm. That's the fine line fans don't want to cross. And maybe folks like you and I are very weary of crossing. But it's okay for yeah. us to say, you know what? In this game, we beat them fair and square. Yeah, absolutely. They've run out of ideas in that game. And that's the proof that we, we beat them with tactically. This wasn't the fact we got lucky by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they were, this is also a Liverpool side that failed to beat Burnley. Uh, when restart came and kicked off again. It's the only reason they don't have a 100% record at Anfield this season is purely because they got a draw against Burnley when they came back. So I think this is a side that, yeah, wasn't firing on all cylinders. But you know what? As they say, it's a sign of a good champion that when you're playing badly, you beat sides and they didn't beat us. Yeah, John, sorry, John. Unmuted. Yeah, and at least it's something that you mentioned earlier about uh, consistency, and I think that notion of of maybe it was it was them, not us, that caused this result goes away when you when you put more consistent results in like that, which is why the city result was so important because I think it, it gave a reasonable doubt that it was just luck at the Liverpool game, right? But then because once again consistency, then we go and we play Aston Villa, and now it's it's up in the air slightly again. So had we got, but we results, also made a lot of changes in that game, didn't we? Uh, yes, right. I, I, that's where I was getting. I was saying that th I think that there's a little bit of an asterisk around that because of the of the personnel that we had on the pitch and mm -hmm. what we're looking forward to and what we really needed out of that match, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into later. But this notion that you mentioned earlier of consistency, I think, is absolutely spot on. And one of the reasons why I think that you start looking at games in a certain way in terms of result, whether we win or whether they let us win. Yeah, that's very true. John, while you're on this, do you want to start off our chat about the Man City game? Uh, same question as it was for the Liverpool one. Did you see this coming? Had, I imagine, yeah, going by your answers to the Liverpool one, you didn't expect us to win this. I had Man City down as a 6-0, maybe a 5 because Aguero weren't starting. How, uh, how did you feel about the game before it started and, and what did you think was going to happen? Because I thought we were going to get hammered. Right. So this, yeah, I thought we were going to get hammered. I think that it was, it was kind of the same logic that I was just explaining how we don't have consistency. So I'm thinking, all right, we ran out of whatever luck we possibly had. You know, I want to, admit, I want to think that we did really well against Liverpool. And I want to think that it was because we, you know, were in the right place and capitalized, but there's always that little inkling of doubt that you have just knowing this Arsenal side and been an Arsenal fan for as long. That's, that's what has been beaten into us in the last decade. Yeah. It? It's like, it's like, it's like classic. <laughs> conditioning that I cannot go into a match against a top team like that extremely confident but that being said with the FA Cup it's been our thing Wembley has been our you know place of business for a while now and I I think that if any 
uh, if I had any hope, it was because it was at Wembley, and we, we've done it before in a semifinal. Obviously, that Man City team was not as good as the one we played right now by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it was still a dangerous side. So maybe, you know, you can get something out of it now. Uh, I... I'm like you, though. I ultimately did not have much expectations going into that into that match. I knew that Arteta was going to need to get it spot on and control people like De Bruyne, uh, was going to need to control the midfield, was going to need to deal with some of the wingers that they have. And I thought that the way that we, we approached that defensively and kind of neutralized certain players and was able to get back into a cohesive formation that was able to stifle City's attack going forward was absolutely incredible. And it, it was stunning. And, and you know, it was... Because of that history that we have and that maybe slight PTSD being an Arsenal fan, I wasn't really satisfied until like the 80th minute. And then then I really started to get nervous because it was like because I was watching with a friend. I'm going, do you think what do you think? You think we think it's score three in, against us in 10 minutes? And he's going, I don't know, pro- maybe. And I'm going, you're right. So <laughs> I'm going, I'm going uh, where is the capitulation going to happen? But that that was nothing that was reflective on the field watching the game that day. Right. That was all in my head based off of what I've seen from Arsenal before. And that's where consistency come in. And that's where being able to know that Arteta is going to get the best out of these players and they're going to listen to what he, ha- what he has to say and that his, his plan is going to be effectuated properly. So I think it was absolutely wonderful. It was one of my favorite matches I've seen. You can call it an away performance. I think the last time everyone kind of looks at this, this basis for an away performance that we've had, if you, as much as you can consider Wembley away, as the last time we played City away in like 2015 or whatever with, you know, Cockland and Santi Cazorla in the midfield, it was this incredible performance. Um, obviously, we've come a long way since then. So it was good to see us back to back wins against major teams. Uh, and look, we're in the FA Cup final now. So I, 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 we're looking at it going maybe whatever, what could happen, but we did it. So here we are. Hmm. Um, I think the uh, sorry, say, yeah, Josh, you didn't do the live show, did you? You did the Liverpool one, which is why you didn't say mm-hmm. much on Liverpool. So, um, when when John was saying that, I had a brilliant question to ask. Well, I think it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> Pet, uh, oh, if I call Arteta Pet one more time, will someone come around and slap me? Arteta has now in six six months of the season beating Man United two 0 beating Chelsea. Um, no, did we beat? No, did beat? No, beat Liverpool two one and beating Man City two 0 this is the this is an Arsenal side who historically, because we are Arsenal PTSD, as John said, you know, we, we don't beat the big boys, and he's done three already this season, hasn't he? I mean, that, talk about that and uh, the Man City game and what you expected, because yeah, like you said, you didn't do the um, the live show, did you? No, no, I didn't do the live show. I think the fact that we had beaten Liverpool, uh, as much as it had given the players belief, it gave the fan base a belief as well, and. I think the the loss against Spurs, I know I've kind of gone over it already. We want to mention how much of a motivator that would have been in the dressing room, that the players had to repay the fans because not only did we lose to Tottenham and there was no fans there to give them any kind of shtick or anything from that, but, you know, St. Tottering's Day wasn't happening either. I think Arteta's a lot closer to what that means. You know, the dress, the Arsenal dressing room that he was in to let you know about what North London derbies meant was one helmed by Wenger and had those kind of, you know, you had Per Mertesacker in there who completely understood the North London derby uh, and trying to go back through who was still in there. You still had Jack Wilshire as well. He would have learned the North London derby of Jack and Wilshire. And Bellerin's been around long enough to know Bellerin's, what that means. Bellerin's been in there as well, for sure. And I think having that coming from the top, that's something that Emery didn't necessarily have. And 
maybe, well, Freddie definitely would. Freddie knew what a North London derby meant, but I think there was so much of that coming round. The players would have known how much, if they didn't know how much losing to Tottenham meant to the football club, they definitely did afterwards. And I think it gave them that extra fire to do, get something that we could really celebrate. And that is the FA Cup. And I know some people saying we kind of part the bus against City. I'm like, City are going to have 70% of possession in any game that they play. Yeah, whether you want them to, to be or honest. Not. Exactly. If, we're, if we were playing Burnley and they had 70% of the possession, yeah, I'm concerned. This <laughs> is Man City. <laughs> exactly. This is Man City. This is a decent footballing side that are trying to play out the back. And you saw what we did. We just stopped all passing lanes. So the only options was Laporte back to Edison, Edison back to um, was it Garcia as their other centre-back. They were only options. The job Lacazette did in that game in false nine position, I mean, I'd build him a statue for that, to be honest. It's just him and then Gundogan in his pocket. No wonder That's he was the statue. That game, he spent so much, he was everywhere, oh. so much time doing all that work. This is what people don't appreciate about Laka is what he does off the ball. He's actually a genius off the ball. Sorry, Josh, carry on, mate. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we'll go to Villa and say he's not a great creative asset from there. You know, when you think of a false nine, you might think of Cesc Fabregas in uh, the Spain World Cup that they won, uh, playing in that kind of position, or Messi for Barcelona. You're thinking of these hugely creative players that aren't really strikers. But the job he did was, wasn't creative. He was there to be destructive and just stopped Gundogan being able to pick the ball up deep. Or if it was De Bruyne coming in deep, he'd go and get close to them. And that was the, the thing we saw. We just stopped them so early being able to build that I'm not worried about the possession, to be honest. And I think anybody who is worried about it, to be honest, just scroll further back up the stats and you'll see the scoreline. And remember, that's the one that mattered from that one. And the fact that we're in an FA Cup final. And as I say, no one remembers the person that loses in a cup game. Nobody. They just remember the winners. You know, uh, history is written by the winners. And it's exactly how a cup says. No one's going to go, oh, you got to the final, but you only got 30% possession against Man City when you beat them 2-0. Not going to happen. So I think that's the... The big thing from that Man City performance was Lacazette and then just how we caught City on their weak points. Carl Walker, you know, I think he's played more or less every game for them. He's got tired legs. We've rotated out. They necessarily haven't. And Benjamin Mende, who for, you know, £52 million, he's not a great left back, is he? Not a great left back. And we exploited it. This City isn't invincible. <laughs> And I think we found their weaknesses. Sorry, sorry. That, Josh, no, Josh, because that first goal, I think people kind of stick to the last three, the last two passes before mm. Aubameyang's finish. But we played some vintage Arsenal before it even mm. got to the Pepe cross, didn't we? Yeah. It was... That it was it was playing City at their own game. And you, you're right. Like, it, it was just... Um, that that first goal, if City had scored that against against us again, I think we're a dartboard and have been because of our inconsistency, which has been our Achilles' heel. That first goal was just beautiful the way we broke them down, and 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 those those plays that you're you're talking about on the City side, 
I mean, we beat them at their own game in mm. that movement and, and, and how we finished there it was unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. And to go, like, continue on that, it also goes to show that the fact that we didn't have the ball didn't mean we didn't want it. Because when we had it, boy, did we show we could do something with it. It was all part of the game plan, the way we just cut through them. And yeah, as you say, there's just a complete team goal from that. Um, yeah. I think the most annoying thing about it is the fact if you go through like, the highlights packages that like the FA put up, the goal is two passes. It's a Pepe cross and a banner on the end crazy. of it. And you're like, what's going on? Uh, after seeing him mess up, I mean, the names I called Aubameyang when he missed that first chance against Edison. <laughs> oh, let's just say if there was a swear jar in my flat, it would be overflowing. But, it was like a giant game of chess, wasn't it? And that sometimes the look on Pep's face, he wanted to knock his uh, queen, do you knock your queen or your king over when you give up? You quit. King, king. what's your king? Yeah, I've not played. I was in the chess league at school when I was about eight or nine. That's how I learned to play. He looked like he wanted to knock it over. He sat there going... Like Klopp was, I, I don't know what to do. But they, they've given us the ball. I don't know what to do. Everything we do, they nullify. And then, like you were saying, Josh, they have to result to giving the ball back to the goalkeeper and uh, a bit of have an inby there, number 10. And when you saw De Bruyne was having absolutely no luck and, uh, and Lacazette running his ass off in midfield. If you look back at the last five or six games, John, that, um, that we have played with Lacazette, not only is he scoring goals, he's setting people up, he's got assists, and then he puts in a performance like that against Man City. And people still say, no, nah, I think we should get rid of him. He's almost nullified the number 10 position with the amount of work that he does, hasn't he? Like we were saying on your show. Yeah, it's really interesting the kind of position that he's been uh, taking up. It's so deep. You look at the Aston Villa match as a perfect example. I mean, he was almost a defensive midfielder for the entirety of the match. And whether or not that worked in that game is, is a clearly up for debate but i think when you're looking at that he he took up similar performances or positions rather in in the city match and against liverpool so it, it, it what he does when it works is absolutely it's great it's great when it doesn't work you know i think that he could some of that's attributable to him but i think a lot of it is just an overall lack of creativity that this midfield had which is a whole nother an, another story so it's interesting to see kind of how that position's being used how Lacazette's rather being used in that position uh he's certainly not this kind of darting into the box center forward he's more of a bringing back and acting almost as if he's like another midfielder being able to get the ball to the attacking players and hold it up long enough for players like like Aubameyang and Pepe uh, and Ceballos to kind of interplay with him and get the ball into dangerous areas so when you're looking at it from a tactical perspective um he's the kind of perfect player for that role and there, for me, the, the issue with Lacazette wasn't what can he offer this team in a certain role? Because obviously there's a place for him. The question for me was, was there a case where, because he's not a center forward the score goals, the off-the-ball contribution and the way he's being used tactically, does it outweigh the fact that he's not scoring goals as center forward? Because we know when you look at other teams and top teams in the league, Liverpool is a perfect example. Your center forward doesn't need to be scoring goals for you to be successful. In fact, I don't even know if Firmino has even scored a goal at uh at uh, Anfield this entire season so when you're looking at the what you're what you're asking a center forward to do and what Lacazette's doing if his off the ball movement and if his tactical awareness being able to bring other players into it uh being able to kind of tire out defenders throughout a match if that outweighs his lack of goal scoring I think that it's going to be an absolute selection for Arteta um it should be interesting to see whether once he gets a more creative midfield he wants to keep going forward with that or whether he wants to try to evolve it to implement Lacazette style dropping deep a little bit more. It should be really interesting to see what he does with that. 
Yeah, so um, Archie makes a good point here. He says, you can't have it both ways. Either he scores as a striker or he creates. Which is it? Because it's neither. Um, Stan, uh, who was on the pod a couple of weeks ago, he said he's he's going to trademark the, the false eight position because that's almost like what he is, isn't it, at times? It, it is. But I think if we just take one step back and look at what Lacquer's being asked to do, versus what his true talent is, right? And how we've known him at Lyon and the reasons why Arsenal bought him as a player. What Arteta is trying to do, a lot like Pep, a lot like um, other really good managers, even like a Simeone, is he's building a squad and a system. And he wants players to play into a system that's adaptable, because a little bit like Pep, he's a crazy scientist. He'll play a left back in midfield or a midfielder at right back, you know, because he has so much faith and trust in his coaching. And so what's happening at Arsenal are two things. We're expecting results on the pitch and players like Laka to be adaptable and for us to see him excel every single game. But what is also being asked is, Arteta's trying to change the DNA and the culture of the team and the mentality of the team. And so that's why we see phenomenal performances like against Liverpool and City where players are mentally engaged. There's It's almost like a one-off game where the stakes are high and they can laser focus on that. But going throughout an entire season, 38 games in the Premier League, that takes so much mental engagement it takes adaptability. And I think players like Laka bring a lot of options to Arteta because he is versatile. Aubameyang's versatile too, but I think we all believe that his best position and he's most prolific when he's playing right down the middle as the main striker. But I think Laka's underappreciated sometimes because people expect him to be scoring all of these goals because that's why we bought him. But adapting to the Arteta philosophy and Arteta's team and what he wants to build at Arsenal, you could argue that Lacquer becomes a very valuable asset. And especially when a Martinelli comes back and you have Martinelli's speed, his quick thinking, his football prowess, his mental attitude, and what he and Anasaka, Anna, Lacquer, Oba, I think Pepe is still a work in progress. For me, I'd think twice about wanting to sell somebody like Lacazette because I think in Arteta's world and the way Arteta wants to build the team, he brings a lot of options um, to him and for him. But I think this is why I respect Lacquer a lot because he's been asked to do things that maybe he wasn't expected to do when he first came at Arsenal. And that's all part of the rebuild of Arsenal culture, DNA, and who we want to be as a football team and have this team be a mirror of Arteta and an image of Arteta, which is why Klopp has succeeded at Liverpool, why Conte did at Chelsea, why Fergie did it at, um, at Man United, even why Lampard's having success. He's building the team in his image. And I think that's what Arteta's trying to do. And players like Laka, I think, will help achieve that. Hey, also, to say that we also need to look at our strength is on the wings at the moment. We saw that we're against Villa, to be honest. We saw we had no creativity from the f- forward line. It's all Pepe, it's your Nelson, Aubameyang out there to a certain extent. But then you look and see it's because our midfield is so poor. You know, Arteta's come in to a squad that was being set up to become like a very functional midfield. 
you could see what Emery was trying to do. You know, he was trying to basically replicate what Liverpool had done, where you've got this midfield. You wouldn't say most of those Liverpool midfielders would get into our midfield if we wanted to play the kind of football Arteta wants to play. They're not technical players. They're just ball carriers and hustlers. That's all they're really doing. And that was our, that's the problem is Arteta's trying to get a decent midfield out of what we've got. And Laka having to come short is the only way that he's really seen it achieve with some kind of result. It's the same as, you know, David Luiz sitting in the middle of a three. It frees him up to come into the midfield because, again, we don't have that quality there. And it's why it's so key in the summer that I think we'll see a midfielder come in, probably a couple of them, and then we'll see us drop back to a three in midfield, maybe a more uh, conventional 4-3-3 rather than this three at the back system because Arteta's trying to get, you know, he's making the most of what he's got, to be honest. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. No, exactly. John? Bang on. Yeah. Um, so first, I see the chats pointing out that Firmino did actually score uh, at home one goal <laughs> at Anfield. So that's right. You guys are correct. Uh, but still, I think the point remains that, you know, when you're looking at the what the what the players producing off the ball versus a goal scored, I think that one can weigh out the other. And uh, Josh brings up an excellent point about us playing from the wings. And that's actually I was going to bring it up. So I'm glad you did uh, that. That's one of the, I think maybe the slight downfalls of Lacazette in the system is because our midfield is so weak right now that we do have to get so much play through the wings. And I feel like when you're you would not consider Lacazette a target man. I don't think anyone would because he's not. So when you're when you're relying on balls coming into the box from the wings like that, I think it's a little bit of a disadvantage of us. If I if there's one big criticism besides maybe the away goal record that he has, uh, even though he scored away right now against in the in the North London derby, an incredible goal. Um, is that he he is not the greatest in terms of a target, right? So if we're going to be playing a lot, it needs to be cutbacks where he's coming in to run uh, run into the box or something like that. It's not going to be like that that Giroud effect that we had when, when he was playing for us, where you could just lob a ball in and then it would hit his French forehead, a goal. So that's not happening. That's like, yeah, that's not happening, right? So um, if that is the game plan, which I 100% agree that it is, and it was kind of what I was alluding to earlier about how he's going to mold the tactics around that, I think that we need to rethink exactly how we're going to utilize the wings to get balls into dangerous areas, knowing that Lacazette's not, generally not going to be that target man. He could stop the ball, turn, and, and shoot. We've seen him do that a lot. But in terms of hitting an aerial ball or something like that, um, I, I don't think any of us would really put him in the position where uh, that would be his key focus and that that would be our greatest chance of success. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time because I agree with you in terms of what we're doing from the wings. Very good. Right. Um, before we move on to the Villa game, people, have you all, oh, start with you, Josh, have you seen enough from our results against the likes of Liverpool and Man City and to a certain extent Spurs with Lacazette scoring the away goal, brilliant away goal. Have you seen enough from there to think we're going to be able to beat Chelsea in the final and giving you some hope for next season that we're not going to be a uh, mid-table team like we have been for the last two years? Cheers, uh, oh, Danny. Can we have a roast? That would be lovely. Yeah, no worries. Do you want me to eat it for you as well? I'll give you a broom as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can we win the final? Yes. Yeah. Um, We saw from the kind of Chelsea Liverpool game last night that, you know, if Kepa's between those sticks, we've got any chance 
<laughs> there's any chance in there. I think, oh, is his safe percentage worse than um, Claudio Bravo now in the Premier League? It's under 50%. So, Jacka, David Louise, shoot on site. Did they give him a seven-year contract today, Kepa? Kepa? I'm sure that's okay. it's either that or the other one whose surname I can't pronounce. Caballero. Mm-hmm. It can't be him because he's, um, he's 37. Who is? Caballero. They're, other, they're cup goalkeeper. Oh, I mean, the, the, who's their as Capertaleta? That one, Kepa. It's in the news today. Kepa. One of the Chelsea players has been given a seven-year contract extension. Well, and probably if if I was them, that would go to Pulisic personally. Yeah. <laughs> if they have any brains whatsoever, there's only two players I'm worried about in this final. It's Giroud, my boy GQ Giroud, and Pulisic. I mean, wow! Can you imagine Pulisic in our team? Think about him. Listen, I I'm not jealous of other teams players other than this is why I love what we did uh, to Kevin De Bruyne because I love Kevin De Bruyne we all love Kevin De Bruyne everyone was talking about him being the Ballon d'Or winner if if City would win the Champions League right I mean the way we nullified him out the game with an average team is quite unbelievable but it's been a long while and and Hazard did it so well and and there've been players modern day players and I'm sure you guys can score me and educate me and who I'm forgetting but you know that, that was what I loved about Pires. He was so unafraid to take on players, dribble, go past people. Pulisic, I'm not saying he's Pires, but I'm giving you an example of a player that maybe we want Pepe to be right now and he's not quite there, even though he's been good and he's had a solid season, you could say. He's scored a couple wonder goals. I think he's a growth player. He's not an immediate impact player in every game. Every time Pulisic comes out, you th- you feel like he wants to rip someone's head off and show that he can play football. And I think that's what I like about him, and that's what I want to see more of in Arteta's kind of new DNA, is plays that come out and they just want to rip your head off every single game. And as much as I think Pepe's super talented, I don't see that um, fire in him. But he's not that kind of player either, so I'm not going to pull him up on that. But my goodness, he could he's to me the most dangerous. If Frank Lampard doesn't start him and he comes out in like a, the second half, I almost find that more dangerous than him starting the game in the FA Cup final, to be honest with you. I just had a little look and it was a tweet that I saw from when Kepa signed for Chelsea and he originally signed a seven-year contract. So <clears throat> that's what I get for not looking at the date and thinking, bloody hell, why have they given their goalkeeper a seven-year deal when he's been there for two seasons? Yeah, um, it's going to be an an interesting final with, uh, like you're saying, Pulisic and Giroud, either one of those two. I mean, if it's Giroud, the, the only good thing I think about Chelsea, they are not a great team, as we saw last night, as Josh was busy laughing at them letting in five goals, but they have two styles of football. If things are against Man United, Man United should have won that game. And they went, no, we're going to lob it down to Giroud and Giroud's going to do all the magic. And if they play against a team that they, uh, they want to play it the other way, they'll play with Pulisic and and, and other the other players like William. And they've got some really good young players there as well. So I'm quite good. John, how do you feel about the final? Uh, oof. Um, first of all, I wanted to just say as an American, uh, I was very upset that Chelsea signed Pulisic. Uh, he's everyone that, you know, we all knew who he was over here. If you follow any kind of like MLS or or anything, you know. And when he went to, to Dortmund, it was like, okay, this is exactly the kind of team that's going to suit him and get him ready for wherever he's going. So... Um, yeah, I really wish that we signed him because he's an excellent talent. And he's extremely dangerous. And since the restart, he's been absolutely on fire. So um, I guess going forward now, uh, 
what do we have to do? Well, we have to do what we did against City, right? Um, I, I think the defending the defensive aspect of Chelsea's side is where we can exploit them the most. Um, and we kind of touched on that a little bit. But uh, look, FA Cup Finals, we've done pretty damn well. So I'm I'm confident in the sense that I was confident that we were going to Wembley uh, for the City match, but I don't want this team to underestimate this uh, this Chelsea side, and I don't think they will, and I hope they don't. But look, it, you got to really make sure that they're up for this one. It's kind of hard not to get up for a cup final, though, right? So um, that being said, I mean we could just look at Europa League uh, in that final. Look, I hope it's more towards what we did against Chelsea the last time we played them in the FA Cup final and less of what we did when we played uh, Chelsea in the Europa League final coming up now. So it's a really different situation as well, I think. The Europa agreed. League agreed. I think that when you're looking at those two and you're looking at where we were and what the kind of manager we had and what the players believed in with that manager, I think that it's it's night and day. So I think that we have that going for us. And if we could put in a performance like we did against City, I think that there, we beat City. City's better than Chelsea. We beat Liverpool. Liverpool's better than Chelsea. We didn't beat Aston Villa, who's not better than Chelsea. But I think that a lot of that had to do with the players that we were playing and the fact that a lot of them maybe didn't want to get injured because we had the game against Chelsea. So in terms of tactics, I think that we need to be concerned with Giroud because we know he's a threat. Uh, and I th- feel like with Mustafi out... You know, holding is going to come in probably. It's going to be holding Louise. Um, and hopefully, holding pulls in a, a Diego Costa performance like he did in, uh, you know, pocketing him at the last FA Cup final. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, I, I don't have the animus that I have towards Giroud, although it, it, at the end of that FA Cup final and that whole thing on the bus, it definitely rose to certain levels of that. But uh, look, it's going to be good, hopefully, and uh, it's good that we're actually going to have a chance to win a trophy. It would be absolutely massive for Arteta. It would be such a huge statement and such a big, uh, big thing that he's going to tell the board. Like, look what I've done. Like, you need to back me. This stuff is working. I think that that's going to be important for him. So, hopefully, we get something. Just I went before um, the show and I went and made a list of all the silverware finals, Charity Shield included, that we've played against Chelsea in recent years. In the last 18 years, we've played them seven times. We uh, we won the 2017 FA Cup at the 15 Charity Shield. We won the 2002 FA Cup. Then we lost the League Cup final. We lost the Charity Shield and we lost the Europa League and we drew one Charity Shield in 2017. So it's all much of a muchness there. So, mm. Josh. Do you want to have a final say on the thoughts about the final? Yeah, I think it's one thing at our advantage is this is a, we've both got managers, both sides have got managers who are relatively inexperienced. And from that comes inconsistency in not only the team's performances, but the manager's performances as well. I think that's a chance of where we can um, really this where our luck can come from is that Lampard played a final last year. It was a playoff final for Derby and they didn't get through that clearly because Derby is still in the championship. Uh, so I think in terms of cup competitions, Lampard will have that extra fight behind him or want to try and, you know, prove to himself that he can do something in a final, but that may see him overreach. And this Chelsea side, perhaps not, you know, the tactics of how they go about the game may fall more into our hands. I think Arteta seems a bit more cool and calculated. As we saw last night with, with Fat Frank getting the right hump in the game because he was getting <laughs> smashed. And Arteta, at no point has he ever lost it. He's thought, 
what's my next move? Yeah. To be fair, I have to say to Fat Frank, that was a decent comeback to Klopp. Say, uh, <laughs> yeah, say his... down or something. No, he said um, you win one league title and you're given you get arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, and sit down. Uh, which is fair enough if you've got three of them to your uh, and a Champions League there, and a yeah. Europa League and yeah. multiple FA Cups. Yeah. He can back it up, right? Exactly. Lampard knows what he's talking about when it comes to that. And if not, he'll get his Uncle Harry on you. (laughs) And he'll break your legs. 2017 on repeat, you guys. No one gave us a chance in 2017. We were on our knees again in 2017. And we beat City in the semi. And we, and Holding and Purr, he purred like a defensive kitten in that match, did he not? It was a masterclass. And holding came of age in that match. And I think as much as people are upset that Mustafi might not be able to play in this, holding has something to prove too. And the kid's done quite well. And does he make mistakes? Yes. But at the same time, I also think that he's come in and he's done a good job when he's been asked to. Is he going to be the guy that leads us to the promised land and a Premier League title in a championship defensive team i'm not sure but is he worthy of being part of the squad and coming in in moments like this absolutely um and having spent time with rob holding here in la and stuff he's such a good kid everyone talks about kieran kieran uh, tierney and his tesco bag but rob holding was the original tesco bag boy you know I mean, he's just such a good guy and he just loves his football and he's such a hard worker. And to be honest with you, the two of them together in this squad, kind of infusing a little bit of a a British core. You know, I know you want one Scottish, but that British kind of vibe and feel, understanding what it means to play football, you know, in the Premier League. And we miss that with the Ox and Theo and Callum and... And a lot of these young kids that were supposed to be this British revolution, it never quite happened. But these two guys bring a humbleness to the team that I think is really important. Yeah, I think with Rob Holding, I think the really interesting thing is his position's changed in the last four games. If anybody's noticed it, he's moved from the left side of defence to the right-hand side. And if he's going to have any future under Arteta, it's at the right side of central defence. Because Arteta said a million times he wants a left-footed player at central defence on the left-hand side. whole reason we went for Pablo Mari is for that reason. And it's why mm-hmm. I think we've gone to three at the back. It's because you might go, oh, you know, Pep's stubborn about his systems. Well, Arteta's exactly the same, cut from a similar cloth. He is very stubborn when it comes to wanting that left-sided player or left-footed player in the side. And when we get onto Villa, look how many left-footers we have in that starting eleven. There's none. That's why we were so awful. We just these don't are the have... nuggets that Josh brings to the table that I yeah. love. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That is actually a very. I interesting love point. this guy. Yeah, have a look at Rob Holding's position. He's moved over to the right hand side. Wow, interesting. Um, because when he came through, um, not a you wouldn't notice it at Bolton necessarily because who's watching League One Bolton? <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest, um, you'd notice it if you. To be fair, if you're English and you're watching the under-23s when he was playing there, the guy on the right-hand side, you might recognise him. Callum Chambers was the right-hand side and Rob Holding was on the left-hand side. Yep. And that was the big thing. And he was always on the left-hand side. If you look again to um, that FA Cup final, players on the left-hand side. And he has moved to the right-hand side, which is why I think we didn't see Rob Holding for a couple of weeks. You know when Mustafi came in 
mm-hmm. and we were like, yeah, where's Wrong? Holding? Because he, he played that great game and then we didn't see him for a couple of weeks and then yeah, you see him come back, it's because he's changed position and Arteta's been moving him and teaching him for a couple of weeks, moving across to the other side of the fence. The game's slightly different. How you go into tackles is different. And yeah, I think that's the huge thing to just watch out for is that we know Rob Holding's a central defender, but he's in, I would say, an unfamiliar position for him yeah, anyway. Saliba's a right. Saliba, Socrates, Chambers, Mustafi, Louis, yeah. Holding, Mavropanos are all right-footed. Maori yeah. and Ledley are left-footed. Left. And so uh, who's going to play on the left? When is, is he going to get Saliba to play on the left? I think we're going to get another centre-back, to be honest. We'll have well, another one come in. We've got plenty we need to get rid of, to be honest. At Malang Sar, he's left-footed. Thiago Silva's right. Tyrone Mings and Nathan Ake are both left-footed. Mm-hmm. That's just some of the centre-backs we've been linked to. You... I'm not sold on Mings yet. Why is everyone yeah. lauding this guy? I mean, he's... I always find it interesting, like Jack Grealish, I think you can see his talent, but he's also been lauded because he's on a team of really poor players that might get relegated. So he shines, right? But that doesn't mean the guy's not talented. But I just, I see Mings, there's so many games I've watched where I think he's, he's a bit mistake prone too. He's got great aerial awareness. I think he's really good in the air, but sometimes when it comes to positional play, I'm not, not entirely sold, and he's an English player that could end up costing. How I don't. I think we're out of that bracket. I think yeah. United or someone go in for someone like him. I don't think we're in the Mings business at all. I think we're in the Saliba, um, Pablo Mari no, business. I don't think we go for any uh, English player really. I, I think that the where we are in terms of the rebuild, it's going to be in, in the in the inflated bubble in the Premier League in terms of what you're going to have to pay for English players. I think it really limits what we're going to be going in the market. So I, I don't think we're going to be looking at players like that. No, a, a little bit like Declan Rice too. I mean, he's a good player, but again, I, I just uh, what is he? We're talking 50, 60 million here, and it's like, what's the kid done? He's in a really poor West Ham team, and he shines every now and again. He scored a great goal the other day, but I think we need to be really careful. I don't think Arsenal are in the business of buying British players like that. That's not we're not financially able to do that, and I don't even think it's the right move to make. To be honest with you, with some of these players being banded about. No, I think with especially Tyrone Mings, twenty-seven, and. He's kind of a defender that you're not... He's all right on the ball, to be honest, but all right isn't what we need. Uh, he's going to want to come in, be a starting player for us as well. I think we can just do so much better or even just get someone of a little lower bracket that can be moulded as well. Although, you know what, Josh? You know, yeah. I think, you know, someone like Mari, who people haven't seen a lot of, and I was really enjoying watching him in the game where he got his injury after 20 minutes. But pace-wise, he's not going to be that guy. But positionally, and that Maldini elegance—I'm not saying he's Maldini. Don't don't <laughs> strike me down, everyone who's listening to this. But there's an elegance about him, and Arteta—I trust in Arteta and what he sees. And yes, he didn't make it at City, but. Are we going to use that as the barometer based on their defense? I mean, I don't think so, right? So I think that I think he's looking for a little bit of what I was saying earlier players that are going to fit into what he does. They don't have to be 50 million pound players, they just have to be the right player. Martinelli, who I can't wait for that kid to come back, like all of us, I'm sure, eight million bucks, right? 
What a bargain. That kid could actually get sold for 80 million. Sucker, homegrown. That I mean, and then the Maris of the world and the Salibas of the world. That's the business I think we're in. And I'm cool with that as long as he's able to build that team, you know, that 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 he needs to. And I think I think that's our mantra, not all of this other British player stuff that everyone's getting sucked into. That's not us. Right. So uh now we move on to the Villa game. Put your hand up if you want to say anything. Uh, <laughs> gotta go, I gotta go, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can Josh. do some of it, but to be fair, I think we heard most of it already. Uh, we had two incredibly mentally and physically draining games against Liverpool and Man City, and we needed to rotate. And you know what? One thing I will say is, hey, we all miss Granite Xhaka now, don't we? Mm. Everybody who said, oh, Xhaka doesn't do anything for this side. Yeah, no, he is absolutely what we needed in there and it's not just because he's left-footed to be honest but if i can i'm just trying to quickly get up the the lineups for it as well just to double check but that forward line that we started with as soon as i saw it i was i thought what's going on here how how is that going to work why why you don't know one plays three forwards you don't even do that in fifa and we all know fifa's not real life (laughs) yeah Absolutely. And oh, but it is. <laughs> another, I think it was just the game that kind of cemented everybody's kind of, um, you know, lazy uh, assumptions of why things didn't happen. You know, the kind of lazy opinion on Jacko is, oh, he's shit. Well, you know, look how shit we are when we don't have him. The other one was on Enketia and why it was an absolute travesty. He didn't start for Leeds. Well, you know what? Marcelo Bielsa knows a bit about creative football. And that was the reason we saw Enketia can't create anything. And we had him out on the right where most of our kind of creativity has come from, to be honest. And that was the whole reason why he didn't make it at least is because he's not a creative player. Mm. He doesn't. He didn't can't we just bring. ask him to come back? It's not that he didn't make it at Leeds. We wanted yeah. him to come back. He right? wanted Is he to still come not back. one of their top scorers? I mean, I. No. 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 Um, but, he wanted to come back because he wasn't getting the minutes and I would have, you know, he came back, Arteta kind of had a look at him and, you know, Bristol City were like, we'll, we'll take him because they would have played a system that worked to Nketiah's strengths, which I don't think is necessarily what you want on a loan. You don't want a player who goes on loan necessarily to have it easy. If Nketiah had stayed there for us the whole season under Bielsa's tutelage, he would have mm. come back a better player because of the training he would have been in week in or week out. Yeah, he wouldn't have come off the bench. You know, Josh, is he the same age as Greenwood? Uh, no, Greenwood's younger. Greenwood's 18. Oh. Um, and Ketia's 20, isn't he? Is he 20? He's yeah, going to be 21. He's 21. It's at that age. But yeah, they're not the same. Like, 21. Class. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Mason Greenwood's a whole different kettle of fish on that one. He's not the next Mbappe. Let's can we can we go in there quickly and say he's not the next Mbappe. Tweeted, but, um, Alan Shearer said that, um, that he reckons Mason could break his Premier League goal scoring record. Yeah, right. I, 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 I says wouldn't a lot of be I wouldn't be surprised, but I think I the would. thing that's holding him back is the fact that he's at Man Man United. Harry Kane break at first. I mean, yeah, geez. absolutely. I think uh, Martinelli I think, will break it first. You know, people probably said the same about Michael Owen at that time. 
course. You know, when Michael Owen was breaking through, um, I think he levelled the record that Michael Owen's got. It. He's beaten it for any player at Man United, the teenage goal-scoring record. But Owen was fantastic when he came through. Mm. Uh, the thing that I think makes Greenwood a little bit different to Nketiah is the fact that he is properly two-footed. Properly two-footed. So there's a bit more... He can beat a man. He can create something out of nothing. Nketiah is very much the... He does his work within the six-yard box. Uh, he's... I'd say... No, it's doing a disservice to Ian Wright, to be honest, to say he's mm. like Ian Wright. I'd say it's more like... a and to use a Spurs player, it's more like Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker Josh, wasn't a creator. Yes, so, sorry. Josh, what... what if, if Martinelli's fit right now, right? Mm. Tell me... Sorry, Danny, I don't mean to jump in and ask a question, but I, I really want to hear what Josh thinks and everyone. If Martinelli has been fit for the last, for the Liverpool game, the City game, the Villa game, what does our front line midfield look like? Oh, great question. To be honest, I think he comes in for the Villa game and he'd probably come off the bench for a couple of them. But I see his, I don't know, I don't see his... Is he a Pulisic? Is he more middle? Is he... Mm. who? And if he's coming off, if, if he's coming on, who's yeah. coming off? Like, how does it so look? The way we're set up at the moment, he's got very similar attributes to like an early Aubameyang, to be mm -hmm. honest. Is that winger who's great striker... You don't need to, I think one of the great things, to be honest, is what we've seen in the past couple of seasons, is the movement away from your striker necessarily being the, all your goals comes from the striker. Mm -hmm. You know, the golden boot for the last two, three seasons has come from a player that has predominantly played on the wing. I mean, I'm, I'm utilising the fact that Salah and Mane are in there mm -hmm. as well. And Aubameyang, to be fair, did most of his goal scoring from the wing. And we look at some of the prized assets. You know that um, I've said I don't want to link anyone to saying they're a bit like Mbappe, but this is where it's, this is purely for positional senses. Yeah, Mbappe, yeah, yeah. Mbappe and Martinelli. You know, people would say Martin, uh, Mbappe would look brilliant through the middle, but he does all his work on the wing. On the wing, he gets a bit yeah. more space, and he doesn't. You know, he still scores a shed load of goals. Even for France, goes out on the wing because he's got more space, more time to do something, and he's not the focal point. And I think mm. that's the thing that we can find from Martinelli. I mean, he could do it through the middle. There's no shadow of a doubt that he could be a number nine for Arsenal. But I think he's a bit more exciting on that left wing, a bit like mm -hmm. Aubameyang, that he's kind of... You're marking, you're marking sorry, Lacazette or an Enketia, and it's the guy that's coming in a little bit later, a little mm. bit behind the play, and he's coming in and striking you there. And that's what I kind of see from Martinelli is that little style of play similar to Mbappe from that regard. Interesting. Yeah. John, do you want to have uh, anything on that before we move uh, on? I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement there. I think that it's it, the only problem I see with him on the left is what you do with Aubameyang or it, and then in, in turn Lacazette. Mm -hmm. I think if you put um, Martinelli on the, on the left, um, Aubameyang goes centrally and uh, Lacazette doesn't have a role in the team anymore and which is look if that's what it comes to I think that there's a dangerous kind of interplay on the left because we know Aubameyang is, is, is dangerous there and we know that Martinelli can play well in the box centrally you know we scored like 
header. He scored goals in the box, like as a poacher. So we know that that would work. It's just a question of being able to make it and and take some other players off. So it would be a different tactical approach. But I think Martinelli, uh, Laka, uh, Aubameyang, and then Pepe is our best goal threat of an attacking front three. Uh, there's more goals in that than I think with Lacazette. As much as he offers off the ball, if we're looking at it from a goal scoring goal scoring perspective, that front three of of uh, Martinelli on the left interplaying with Lacazette and, or Aubameyang and switching off, Aubameyang centrally drifting out to the left sometimes and coming back in, and then Pepe on the right with the cut ins to maybe a Martinelli who's coming to the box or something like that. But then you lose that tracking back, I think, when Lacazette's not on, and and Pepe plays better with Ashley, um, with Ainsley, um, Maitland Niles. Uh, mm-hmm. I always get his, I always bastardize his name <laughs> uh, with Maitland Niles, uh, which has been evident, like clear as day, that he plays so much better with him than he does um, yeah. with Bellerin. So that presents other problems. But yeah, no, very interesting to see how that would play out when when Martinelli is uh, is back. Yeah, and one just really quick point. One way that they could potentially fix that if you decide to drop Lacazette for argument's sake is uh, to make the midfield a little bit more creative and then you don't have to worry about someone dropping back and dealing with as much as Lacazette has to do. If we're more controlling in the midfield and we're able to create more from further back, then we don't need that player holding a play as much. Yeah, if I think my thing, oh, Ford just says that, that. I just think Martinelli will play everywhere. He's young. He could <laughs> his, his career can be completely defined at any point. He will play in. He'll play any position you want, and that's how he'll fit in for the next few years, Josh. Yeah, I was going to say on where you ultimately see Martinelli is also a question of where what do you see our situation with Aubameyang and Lacazette as well, because I'm of the opinion that. I'd get Aubameyang to sign an extended contract with us, but yeah. I'd be selling him at the end of next season with two years left on his deal. Who who, who would you be Aubameyang, selling? Aubameyang. I'd sell Aubameyang at the end of next season. Uh, sign him up, sell him next season. So we heard the yeah. big thing from Don Raul that <laughs> you know if players have got two seasons left on their contract, it's either sign a new one or get out. Yeah. And Aubameyang has shown... And to be fair, proven me wrong. Not that he needs to prove anything to, you know, a ginger kid in the Northwest, uh, that he needs to do anything for his footballing ability. But I thought, to be honest, he wouldn't find this left, the role on the left-hand side, he wouldn't become as creative and his pace would go. I think he could, there's a bit more to him. He's brought more to his game, you know, from his early career. He misses more chances. I'd like to see Mm. the stats because... Think about how prolific he's been, but he also needs like five or six to bury one. Mm. So you can imagine if his ratio on finishing was a little bit stronger. And I'd also love to see, I haven't looked at the data, but I know there's someone out there that has it, what his finishing is when he is playing on that left side, when he, whether, when he's playing down the middle and what that, what that looks like, because mm. optic optics wise, he always looks far, far more comfortable and far more dominant when he's playing down the middle and he's supported either side. Um, and that's why I like the idea of him being down the middle, Saka on one side, Martinelli on the other. Then you've got that strong, you know, um, that player behind him. My my dreaming. No, that's what I want. Imagine that. Oh, that'd be <laughs> And who, who is that player in the hole there? I mean, well, I think you've already named him, but you've put him out on. on Have the I wing. put him on the wing? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think okay. it's Saka. <laughs> I think it's Saka. I think he comes inside. We've seen him a couple of times. 
under Arteta, I think before the big games, that when Arteta was trying to experiment with who he could put in a three before he went mm. to the three at the back, three in midfield, yeah. Saka was one of those players. I think we might see if he can't get who he wants, uh, you know, we have to settle for a, wi- a wide player instead of a central midfielder, that Saka comes in and fulfills that role for us. Mm-hmm. Did we see a bit of that when the wing backs were going forward? He was able to then do his false, no, mm. uh, uh, inverse, inverted left winger, if that's the thing, where they move <laughs> across the pitch inward. Did he do that? It was the Liverpool game, uh, you know, where he was. Because I think we played more of a four at the back than a five at the back against Liverpool because Saka wasn't really a left wing back and he wasn't really a left winger and he wasn't really in left midfield. He was almost doing a job on Salah, I think. Yeah, Salah's on their right-hand side. So it's interesting to kind of look back and see what was kind of happening in that game. But he had a very specific role, kind of a floating role in there, but he wasn't part of that back like defensive line and he wasn't really mm. part of the wing. We're kind of lucky to have this talent mm. that's that's rising because when you mm. think about about our financial situation, right? When you think about what we bought Martinelli for, mm. but when you think about Saka, and yes, we've given him a new contract, but that's one that is super well deserved. Mm. Um I'm not sure what's happening with Smith Rowe right now. I'm not I haven't got up to speed with what he's he's doing. Obviously Mavrobanos is going back out for a loan um, but you you do you do have someone who's young like Tierney who didn't come through the Arsenal ranks. But again, when you look at him and if he can stay injury free, he looks like a bargain in today's market for the amount of money that we paid for him. Like he's got some. If you're looking at this as a chess game, he's definitely got pieces, and he's and he and he can definitely regurgitate the money if he sells the Kalasinaches of the world. And the Ozil is going to be just get rid of the wages, right? But what those wages can bring back to us mm. as a team is huge. Mm. There's definitely room for some good business based on what we have and how we can maybe, um, you know, find good deals and loans. Like, you know, I, I, I think I think Cedric will come good. I think he's had some injury problems, but he's a quality Premier League player that I think is, is going to be really important for us next season, you know. Mm. So I think it's interesting in terms of what we've inherited, what we have versus what we have to sell and how we have to kind of reinvent the team, guys. I think Gwendozi is going to help us uh, massively in that regard. I mean, although, you know, his attitude problem has been well documented. There's not a manager, you know, at the top of world football that doesn't think that they could straighten him out. Uh, you know, they're all, you know, if Gwendozi is arrogant, there's a more arrogant manager out there that thinks that they could do it and will have the funds to straighten him out. And that is money is it a mistake? Is that going to be a mistake? Selling Gwendozi? I mean, I'd say it in the same way. Selling Anelka was that a mistake? It got us a new training ground, and the training ground did us wonders. Gwendozi's going to build us a new midfield. So <laughs> I think, although, yeah, I think. So what you're expecting, 40? Even though they, people know we're desperate. So think about how teams know mm. we want to get rid of him, right? Business-wise. Yep. He's now 25 million versus 40, no? Mm. Perhaps, I think we've, we've a... slashed his price because we've been vocal mm. about his deficiencies and misgivings as a player. 
the thing is though there's not only going to be one suitor for him that's where the low fee will come from is if only one team comes and says yeah we'll take Guendouzi but I don't think that'll be the, the case you'll have the likes of a PSG you'll have the likes of uh, you know Juventus they might come in probably an Inter Milan Conte oh, hmm. he's a Conte player isn't he yeah. every day of the week and they'd Currently, he's raiding the Premier League for rejects and uh, <laughs> troubled players, shall we yeah. say. So I think there's definitely a market for him. And mm. that's the thing that, yeah, although the starting bits might be low, the fact that we can then go, well, you know what, someone will bid higher and then we can just bring the price up. I mean, the process will take longer, but I think we'll still get what we will, a fee that we'll be happy with, to be honest. It's not like we're trying to get rid of Socrates. I think that's a different kettle of fish, that you know. That is a just take him kind of. Yeah. Olympia kind of goes will one. take him for a kebab and a little daramo salada, don't you worry? <laughs> I hope so. Thunderbug says, don't trust someone who is two premiership clubs like Josh. He downplays Nketia so Brighton can scoop him and Mainsley up for a bargain price. I'm surprised he but probably would have. And John, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't um, get him then. I, I wouldn't have AMN at Brighton. Sorry. Uh, I wouldn't too, get rid of him. It's too similar to Stephen Elzate. No one cares about your Brighton, Josh, and your Brighton notepad that caused us to lose a bloody game because you're a swine. <laughs> John, <laughs> what did you want to say? Uh, no, I, I think that we were talking about Saka a little bit, and it just kind of made me think about what an amazing player he is. And I was just kind of reminiscing on it and then remembering as to how he even came to to be in this first team besides his hard work it was it was actually Emery that gave him the chance which is kind of interesting a lot of people for good reason like to say all sorts of stuff about Emery but one of the things that I always said that was the the shining light of of his tenure here was being able to give us players like like Saka a chance and really allow him to shine so that was just I just wanted to add that because it was something I thought while while they were discussing it right okay jolly good poor Inaya Unai was given a hard time. Sorry. He just got a new job. He just got a new job. Of course he did. People are, well, he knows Spanish football. So, right. yeah. I noticed Santi got out of there as soon as he found out that he was coming to Spanish. <laughs> he replaced him right back. <laughs> uh, um, right. So, I've got to scroll down on my notes here. Don't need emergency topics. They're safe for the moment. Um, Josh, new shirt numbers. Um, Tell our wonderful listeners about the two shirt numbers, what we were saying before the show started. Oh, yes. So Saka's lost a seven. So hopefully he'll be a little bit quite quicker because, you know, there's less fabric on the back of his shirts now. And he's our new number seven. So he's taken that from Mkhitaryan, who... Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who? Went, and I was trying to... I was went Alexis to... first, right? Alexis, yeah. Mkhitaryan. Alexis, Mkhitaryan. Saka. I mean, I'm just... Oh, it's unfortunate because I've moved all my shirts that used to be under my desk. Uh, and I would fish through it to find the Thomas Rosicki one that's in there. So that was our last proper number seven. And yeah, so he's changed his shirt number. Uh, Mkhitaryan is at Roma. Some I, I don't know what's going on with that deal. Seems a bit shady, but sure, it's Mkhitaryan. Of course, there's a shady deal involved. And then it's Saliba, who still hasn't kicked a ball for us, and he's changed his shirt number already. And he has taken... <laughs> I think so. <laughs> And he's taken number four from Mohamed Elneny, who I thought, well, Dominant. this is a, this is a, I don't know. I'm going to ask Elneny, a question to the rest Elneny of the panel. Is... If you <laughs> think, <laughs> let's put it this way. I'm going to ask it. 
does El Nenny get into our midfield at the moment? Uh, oh, stop. <laughs> no, come on. Maybe. Ugh. Against Villary would have done. Uh, yeah. It's, my thought it's was, like that relationship. It's, that really, really, yeah. it's like that relationship where you want to move on and you keep going mm. back and you're like, I can't do it anymore. Although, yeah. to be fair, it would be great to have him play a team like Watford right now, right? Like, just throw him in the midfield. Last game. Yeah, so so Xhaka and Ceballos cannot get injured or something, and then it's a yeah. Sorry, John. Yeah, it's just a oh, huge one yeah, on he's just a good squad player, but he is the he's a uh, full international regularly with with Egypt. He's had a half decent loan on loan to Besiktas. They're a, they're a decent Europa League team, and he, he's not going to want to come back to Arsenal and sit on his ass, is he? No matter how much money he gets, and he's there's not enough hairspray at the club for him. Gwendouzi and, and Louis. He cut, it. he cut his hair though, didn't he? He chopped it all off, didn't he? Uh, that was static. That was the reason why. <laughs> if there's any head clashes, it could be a permanent injury. Um, right, we've got the uh, Watford game at the weekend. Uh, John, what's your thoughts on that? And are you worried that we'd love to see, we hate Troy Deeney. I personally hate the pose, Pozos. I've got no problem with with Watford. I'm mm. there with John then. I've got no problem with that John either. I think he's fantastic. I've got, uh, he's got all his best albums. <laughs> I love him. And uh, in the film as well, the Elton John film. People go watch it. It's fucking Rocket Man. Oh, yeah, I loved one. it. And the and the Queen one. That's fantastic as well. Um, yeah. So, are you worried? Isn't that the Queen one? No, what? that's Bohemian. No, the, film, the film. No, he's talking about a film about a Queen. Oh, well, the one with Billy Connolly and John one. Oh, oh, it's gone over your head. It's gone over it's... your head, Danny. Oh, I've lost it. Something yeah. of asking John a decent question. You actually <laughs> oh, Queens, Elton John. I mean, it's safe to joke about stuff like that these days now. Archie mm. has summed it up for me. Relegate Deeney, nothing more satisfying, John. Yeah, I mean, that'd be great, right? That'd be uh, the, the catharsis and the just like schadenfreude that we would get from watching Dean crying <laughs> on the pitch. I mean, come on, that's like stuff of dreams right there. Uh, look, uh, I want to see that happen because it means that we beat them. Because if they beat, you know, if they beat the beat us, not only are we going to be upset, but then they uh, put themselves in a good position, and and Dini's happy. Dini happy equals frowny face. Dini relegated equals smiley face, and that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming from in my in depth analysis on that. Is that I want to watch I want to watch them being upset for all. That's that's the biggest thing. Also, I don't want anyone to get injured. I don't. I, I I'm worried that we're going to go into that game and uh, that. You know something. Something's going to happen, but you, you, they got it. They're going to play reserved. I think they're going to have to because that game doesn't mean anything for us on the table. A- absolutely nothing for us. So what what we need to do going in there is is just maybe get some players some time to to get fit that might be squad bench players that are going to come in so that they're they have a little bit of of game time on their uh, you know under their belts coming into the FA Cup final. But all eyes are going to be that FA Cup final. I do not know how Arteta is going to manage to get these players into that game, knowing that it means absolutely nothing to us, and and um, knowing that there's going to be a cup final uh, on the horizon. What do you reckon about the game? Uh, would you risk resting players because, like John, don't want them getting injured, or would you want to go out there and relegate Watford in style? Because uh, if Villa are away at West Ham and all they need is a point, and then Watford are down. I care less about Watford. I care less about whether they get relegated or not. Would it be nice? A bit like Stoke, you know, those kinds of teams. Yes. Have we given Deeney his comeuppance since he made the whole Cajones, Cajones, whatever you're calling it these days, whether you live in the UK or the US, 
comment. I think we've given him his afters since he said that. To me, it's all about winning the FA Cup now. It's not about league position. We're not going to qualify for Europe through the league. And we've got to protect our players. And I think this is a nothing game for us. I don't care. Yeah. Josh? Um, it'd be nice to get some form up, I think, going with some nice momentum into the cup final uh, from that kind of Villa result. It'd be nice for us to, yeah, I think get a couple of goals, you know, get uh, Lacazette's eye in, get Aubameyang's eye in for the kind of final. I think going into it, if we came off the back of another loss, we'd probably go in as greater underdogs and that might help us, but it'd be nice from like a fan's point of view if we could go in and have some real momentum up into that uh, FA Cup final. But we went into Villa with momentum beating Liverpool and City and we made a lot of changes and it didn't work right. In in this game, it's about resting and protecting players. I think it's then down to Arteta to keep everyone up mentally. Yeah, uh, I think... Sorry, go on. No, no, say, mate. We've got, we've got a week between the two games. I think that's the difference. It was what, a couple of hours, well, a couple of days between us playing uh, Man City and going into the Villa game. I think in terms of getting fatigue out of the legs, I think we'd be mm -hmm. fine from that. The only reason for us to field a weakened squad is if we expect Watford to come in and kick us six feet up into the air every opportunity, which to be fair, we've mentioned it on Troy Deeney. He's not the, um, yeah, he's not the nicest of opponents to come up against. Um, we should start Gwenduzi. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we just do that. We put in Gwenduzi and Ozil and we go, here you go, guys, there's your chance and <laughs> just see what happens. Uh, you've mentioned the O word there, Josh. Um, sorry. It's like Beetlejuice. Uh, me and John had a really good chat. We, we, we went full tinfoil hat. We covered every every possible scenario of why Ozil isn't playing for Arsenal and what's going on. So if you want to go and put the link to the podcast with me, John's podcast where I was a guest on there. But um, uh, Sophie and Josh, start with Josh. You two have a discussion about, you've got five minutes, about what's going on with Ozil. We'll just sit here and uh, look pretty. Okay. Uh, sorry, should I go and get some tin foil from the other side of the counter? <laughs> stick it on my head. Uh, because to be fair, everyone holding your hats, I think Mesut Ozil's retired. I think that's what he's done. And he's just he's seen out the rest of it. <laughs> Bloody part-time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, we, we hold on to his image rights and you can see everything he's doing at the moment is trying to build brand Ozil. We saw Andre Schurler, one of his colleagues from the World Cup win, retire at 29 uh, earlier in the month. Per Mertesacker has said that ever since he won the World Cup, and, you know, he didn't really have a big part in that side in terms of on the field. You know, he played, what, four or five minutes of the final? But Mertesacker came on as a sub, and he said he couldn't get himself up for it. And it's the only reason he retired, because, to be honest, he could have... His game was never about pace. He could have easily still be playing at the moment, I think, Mertesacker but chose to retire because the motivation isn't there. And I think it's exactly the same with Ozil. He, yeah, I just think he's retired, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised at the end of his deal. He's not going to go to another club. He's happy in London. Doesn't want to go anywhere else. Yeah, uh, that's where I go. What about you, Sophie? Do you think anything If he does anything, crazy as that? I know, that's, um, that's a bold statement. But in, in, in hindsight, 
And when you look at his style and his effort, yes, he seems like a player who's completely retired. 100% agree with you, even when he's been playing for us. Mm. He's been playing like a retiree, right? Um, the Ozil thing is just such a mixed bag because he really could have been an amazing legend. And I think we saw his best years when he was playing with Santi and Alexis. It was poetry. It was beautiful. And he's always been a player that has excelled around great players. Mm. Germany in the World Cup teams, Real Madrid. Look at the players he was surrounded with at Real Madrid, how he excelled. And when he came to Arsenal, he was then asked to be the leader. And he's not a leader. He's a leader in his humanitarian efforts and what he believes as a human being. He's doing some amazing things off the pitch. Um, but on the pitch, he just wasn't the player to drive a team. That is not, that was never Ozil's mantra. And I think that we put the world on his shoulders a little bit like we did with Fabregas and some other players. And after we sold, after Santi's injury and then Alexis, I'm not sure that we set the team up that was optimal for him. But at the same time, he also never put the effort in. And then what did we do? We panicked, right? Because the, the 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 team were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. If we sold Ozil or didn't keep him, we would have been absolutely killed because Alexis had already gone to United. And so we felt we were we were hostage to to him and his and his marketing capabilities on a global level. Because you go look at the numbers. Ozil, Harry Kane is this superstar. Ozil has twice, three times the followers on Instagram. Ozil is a global icon to a lot of people. And that came in to play for Arsenal. He he made a lot of marketing dollars for us. And losing that isn't easy. It's not. And we own his image rights. That's another huge thing. The reason why we pay mm -hmm. him £350,000 a week is because we own his image rights. And the money and we make people, from that. If people want to know how much image rights bring you in, just say the guy that owns Valencia owns 20% stake in Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's how he made his fortune and accelerated his fortune up. It was purely because he's got 20% of CR7. And we've got Meza Ozil, and we've got his kind of thing and, in there. So, and, and Josh, can you think of a time, a moment, like even Alexis Sanchez, I can point to games. Hmm. Even Santi, uh, I can point to games with Ozil, you know, everyone keeps bringing up his amazing performance against Luda Goretz or the 3-3 the against Liverpool. That was amazing. He was phenomenal in that game. We were down and when we came back, that was like the Ozil I love. But in terms of consistency against the big teams and in big moments, he never lived up to it. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he couldn't on his own. And when he didn't have the supporting cast around him, he failed. And the sooner we move on, from his legacy, whatever that legacy is, I don't think it's a great legacy. I think we've invested a lot of money in a player and we've won FA Cups. And did we win those FA Cups because of him? I don't think so. Teams that are going on the verge of getting relegated and one that did get relegated. Well, I think for the... He gave us a mentality. I think he brought something in because we were just a team that was going through the motions. I think we saw, just from his debut, I think if I want to say rightly, it was against Sunderland. The thing that bringing in Meza Ozil brought to the rest of the side, I think it took us up a level and then getting us to the point of winning a trophy, getting that monkey off our back of, you know, was it uh, nine or 10 seasons without a trophy? 
I think that's the biggest thing he brought to Arsenal was the change in mentality, which isn't necessarily what you want from a player when you pay £42.5 million for him. But we needed it. We got into our winning ways and we we did see and we have seen some good moments from him. You know, there's the Man United, the 3-0. We absolutely destroyed him in the first half and Meza Ozil was kind of key to oh, that yeah. whole performance. We can find loads of them. Um, so yeah, I think Arch, yeah, I think that Archie has said that the club has failed him equally. I think there was was a time when we didn't bring strikers in that helped him, but then who turned up after that? Abamyang and Lacazette. There you go. There's two world class forwards, and they currently in the same squad as them. How can he not feed Abamyang? We were saying, oh, you know what he needs? He needs a quick, fast striker that just he slides balls through over the back. You know, either over the top of the defence or slide rule passes out from the wing and he'd set up a Bamiang. You know, he doesn't want that Donkey Giroud because it cost him his assist record. I think that's the bigger thing. It's why can't like prior you could go the team was a problem, potentially mm-hmm. that was Ozil's excuse. Ozil doesn't have that excuse now. We've got no. the forwards that we need, and then we've got players who aren't great with the ball. So it's not like he's losing assists to Say Gwendozi, he's not losing assist to Gwendozi. Gwendozi would happily pass Ozil the ball so Ozil could play the better pass. That he's is- become a victim of himself. Okay, yeah. I think Ozil. There was a shift in his life after he was be- he was made the villain in his own country, and I don't care what anybody says. That takes a toll on a human being. We get pissed off if someone says something negative on Twitter or they disagree with us or we're like, what the hell is your problem? Think about how he was made to be the culprit for everything that was about Germany's failure, okay? And then I'm going to go out on a limb here because we're living in a world and in a society where, you know, we're, we're trying to be as fair as possible to all cultures and all ethnicities and... And I think there's part of Ozil that felt like he was under attack because of he w- being an immigrant uh, from Turkey and all that jazz. And there was part of him that acted a little bit like the victim. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, as a Greek Cypriot person, to see someone who I really admired as a footballer standing next to a person like a Dogen, who is deemed a, somewhat of a dictator and has done dodgy things in this world, I think a lot a lot of people lost respect for him because he's supposed to be this humanitarian that understands world culture and people and helping. And that he's got this man, not only as a friend, but the best man at his wedding. And since then, it just all seems to have gone pear shaped for him. Mentally, I'm not sure he's superly a strong person because I think the way he's dealt with things, it, you can see that and it's indicative of his behavior. And, and and sources have told me during that time with Anaya Emery at Arsenal that his PR and his whole, the way he handled everything, it was to completely undermine Unaya. And that was known. You know, he's not been a good boy. And, <laughs> and his behaviour hasn't helped him and it's affected him as a footballer. He just hasn't helped himself at all, you know. So make of that what you will. I don't know. But Ozil's a much more complex situation than any of us can think. This is more than football. This is something that has been brewing over, I think, three or four years. 
because he's such a big name people want to use him for mm-hmm. for, for one reason or another well there you go um, John's got to go in five minutes haven't you John yeah I do how would you rate out of 10 their Ozil discussion compared to ours? I think it, it hit almost everything. I don't know if we mentioned the, the carjacking as another thing because I don't know if it's 100% clear at the reason why that happened. I mean, I think that money probably might have had something to do with it, but it might have been something else. It could have been political. I don't really, you know, they, I don't think they would make any of that 100% public. So there's a lot of things that went into this whole Ozil thing, but it was interesting to see that they pretty much hit almost everything we did as well, which is great because it, it kind of uh, reinforced the, the tinfoil hat that I put on in the middle of the podcast. Because look, I think that there's a lot of stuff going on with Ozil right now that is not football related, that bleeds into his footballing life. He also just had a kid, which I'm sure puts things in perspective for you as to what you're going to do with your future and what where your values are. So I think I would give it a, I would give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> Very good. Right. Um, we're going to give... Uh, we all know that Ozil is a human being as well as a footballer, but being football exactly. fans, we look at it from a football point of view. And other people may go, he's such a big star um, amongst, because uh, he's one of the most important Muslim players there are. And so maybe people are trying to use that angle to try and appeal to certain people to maybe a slight little bit of astroturfing going on, which is a really good term, which a lot of people are up to. We don't know. We just look at it mainly from the point of, we're Arsenal fans, he plays for Arsenal, and it hasn't worked as well as it looked like it would have been in the beginning. But someone in the chat made a really good point. We were after Hijwan. We didn't even want Ozil. Ozil was available, so I thought we'd have him. So, uh, But if uh, I think that the point that I made on John's show was uh, Petr Cech's to blame for all of this lot, and if you want to know why, <laughs> go listen to John's podcast and give it a subscribe. He's on Spotify and iTunes and, and YouTube and all those other wonderful places. Uh, oh, our very own Femi's turned off. Here we go. What's, uh, what does a Femi say? Sometimes players just switch off mentally and have retires retired in all but words. We've seen it over the years, let's be honest. There you go. And let's be honest, we all become disenchanted with our job sometimes, don't we? Mm-hmm. Football is a human too. I mean... Yep. I'm struggling now. You know, <laughs> stuff happens in life. It is. Right, Spot on. John, question for you before you go. From Marissa, from... Uh, I don't know where about... Where is um, San Diego? That's near you, isn't it? So it's in California. Southern, Southern California, about yeah. an hour and 20 minutes from where I live. She supports San Diego Royal, I think, from her tweets. As oh, well. bless. She was meant to be on last week, but her dog wasn't well. Um, she says to you, John, or not to you, but I'm giving you it. Do you mm-hmm. think Alba stays? He's in a lot of their promotional material for, for the new kit. And I feel like if he was gone, they wouldn't use him in the promos. That's a very good question. I think that he stays. Um, I think that Arteta probably has done enough to convince him. Uh, I hope that he stays. Uh, I would imagine that uh, he's made. he's been made clear that he's going to be essential to this rebuild uh, and some stability there. It's clear that he has the captaincy material uh, to to lead a squad, especially of younger players who can look up to him. With respect to how much you should weigh the fact that he showed up in the materials, uh, in, in, the, in the kit launch and everything, I don't read too much into that just because they're contractually obligated to do that whether or not they're leaving. Um, so th- there's, there's certain things that they have to do regardless from a legal perspective of whether of whether they're going to be at this club or not that's not part of the negotiation um that there's a transfer of those image rights that come with a move to another club but um as far as he's still an arsenal player as as of when he took those pictures which um you know we've seen players take 
kit launches and then they get sold in the summer. We've seen it happen. And that's the reason why. It's because they have to take that picture. But that being said, don't let it freak you out. I do not think he's going to go. I think that they'll work it out. At least I hope. Definitely. The recent form, I think, may have uh, warmed the cockles of his heart. Right, John, um, you've got to get going one minute earlier than what you you said you needed to go. So it still needs to go at half past? Yeah, okay, yeah I have a minute. Uh, okay well you can hang around good yeah if i don't get to say it it was a great chat and it was thank you for having me on (laughs) excellent i was gonna uh add on to the back of uh that answer as well that there's other players you know that you can you can still buy like um what like a socrates shirt is still available you know they will print socrates five on the back of your arsenal kit if you think he's here at the end of next season that's another thing yeah, I think I think on that note, because I think that was an excellent point, I do gotta yeah. go. So cheers, everyone. Thank you. And the chat was great. Everyone in the chat cheers, was wonderful. Cheers, and soon. Cheers. Oh, thank God he's gone. What a horrible man. To be fair, it's the end of it. It's the fact that, you know, although we see the players that we might sell, you know, the kind of high profile ones, the ones we didn't see in the photo shoot, Arsenal will still happily take your eighty quid. If you want a player issue shirt for that, for, exactly for you to have Socrates written on the back of it. Totally. And it, it's, it's irrelevant who they have out pimping the shirts. Obviously mm. they're going to have Ober and Lacquer and they're going to yeah. squeeze every marketing mm. inch they can mm. out of them until they do leave. I mean, and we've, we've just said about Mesut Ozil, you know, if you yeah. want to sell a few, a few million shirts in the middle East, you're going to stick Mesut Ozil on. Absolutely. There. Totally. Yeah, that was um, you've, you've, you've bowled me a googly there, Josh. With your he's retired, but they're hanging on to him because they own the image rights. Mm. I'm thinking that's really good. Like someone said here, Per retired mid-season. He did, and he came back for the cup final because we had nobody else to play. Gary Neville, he retired mid-season and actually stopped playing. Robbie Savage retired three years before he told anybody. Uh, Dixon was one from memory. Yeah. Danny didn't he retire mid-season? Seaman did as well. He went to Man City, got injured and retired mid-season. Mm. So quite a few players have gone, well, um, I can't play anymore and re- and retired, haven't they? So yeah. wouldn't that be weird? And so you think that he has retired, but he's not going to tell anyone he's retired until the end of the contract. I've decided to sell both of your image rights and I'm going to become a millionaire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you got one of me laying on the bed or have you got me <laughs> to be in the bath with rubber duckies? I've got this whole idea for both of you. It's it's a discussion for offline, but let me just oh, say, wow. you're going to become millionaires as Dill Boy said. <laughs> Bulgarian Guna makes a point there. He says, Skull retired and then came back. Phil Macca says he retired during a match. <laughs> <laughs> And Skulls right. was crap when he came back, bless him. Yeah. He was not good, was he? Okay, man, makes a good point. It's only 11 months left to Ozil contract <laughs> ends. It's not 12 months. Huh? I yeah. mean, what's another $25 million, right? I mean... Three or four days, wow. 10 months. God, they're flying by. <laughs> no, he's not doing anything, is he? Uh, right, we're going to move on to some questions because it's half past nine. Wow. Um, Sophie from Omar Cahill... Kahili. I want to say he's not Welsh, is he? It's not Kahili. Probably Kahil. Kalil. That is it, Kalil. I'm not going to say that again. I'm leaving it at that one. He says, uh, when crowds are back and Arteta can shout out instructions the whole game, <laughs> do you think that will influence our performances? Uh, oh, we can't shout out instructions the whole game. Fuck, sorry, Omar. I'm shit at reading. 
He has benefited from the water breaks. I've been very anti-water break, but every time we have a water break, it seems to have been effective for us. I don't think it makes a difference, to be honest with you. I think I think that, um, you know, he's been used to coaching with crowds and now without them, it's just kind of like being in a training session and players know what their roles are. But, you know, is, is it going to be different? Yes, but that's when I think Arsenal need to identify leaders on the pitch to get his message across, which I think we've lacked greatly across the board. That was from Carlil. And I'm not putting that because he's been kind enough. He's in bloody Norwich. Carlil, you're banned. We've already got two Gooners in Norwich. We're not having a bloody third one. Or you have to go and kill Ellis or Nick. It's one or the other. <laughs> you let us know which one. Well, actually, uh, yeah, we'll probably see it on the news. Uh, I'll pass out go for Nick because he's a bit chubby and can't run away. Uh, right, yeah, that's a good answer. Um, now that Noir Confidential has been away for a while and we've missed his questions, so he's come back with a vengeance and given us three. First one for you, Josh, Urzel-ish. I haven't planned this. He says, today we've seen some changes regarding squad numbers for next season. Do you think there's a chance the club will give Urzel's number 10 to somebody else? It really rubs me up the wrong way. Now, we don't know Noir Confidential, but I do know it's not someone you rub up the wrong way, Josh. Have you been rubbing? <laughs> uh, I, I can't confirm no? or deny reports. It's not count. Yeah. <laughs> Noir Confidential has rubbed me up and down inappropriately. Um, there is an ongoing court case. Hold on. Bill, were you in Norwich as well? We're going to have to have a, a SummerSlam. No, a Royal Rumble. Go on, John. <laughs> yeah. So, um, sorry. What were we saying? Oh, I was on number 10. Uh, uh, we'd, need to, we'd need to bring in a creative midfielder first before we think about giving number 10 to anybody else. And I don't, I don't think we're linked with anybody that I would say should get a number 10 and I don't think anybody else in the squad immediately screams yeah I'll give you number 10 Jackie Wilshire Arteta loves him and he's fit get it back no thank you oh, Danny Jackie, Jackie Wilshire don't know why I <laughs> no I don't and I think if it's Bless. one of those that it's a if Ozil has retired from speaking to <laughs> speak his Big brand is M10, so I'm sure he'd take a little, um, you know, a little. You might drop his wages a little bit if we say, yeah, if for him to keep the uh, number ten shirt, he may pay us to keep hold of it for just a season. Uh, who knows? Because it's all it, part of image rights. How crazy is it that this guy? Everyone keeps saying, "Oh, don't talk about his money," but he's earning three hundred and fifty grand a week, and he's not playing. Arteta's not even choosing him to be in the squad. What does that tell you about where this guy's maybe mental is, or where his current form is? I mean, Arteta is not a fool. He will use players that will help him win. That's his job. This is crazy, you guys. Yeah, absolutely, and I think on the terms of his money. We don't know the full breakdown of that. Does that 350k? We know it includes his image rights. Does it include, you know, his appearance fees? Are we paying him actually performances. less mm-hmm. performances and stuff? Was that the big headline figure? You know, oh, we pay Ozil up to 350,000 pounds a week. <laughs> but only who knows? Who knows? Uh, Ryan is in the chat, the Mr. Arsenal podcast. Uh, another one of my podcasts that I have been on. A very nice bloke. Does some really good quizzes. Got one on tomorrow, which I hopefully I'm going to be on. It is uh, they give out clues to players. And I should have been one the last one, but Ryan mugged me off. 
so I didn't win. And there, there you go. There's Ryan's channel. Go give it a uh, subscribe, a tickle, a like, whatever it is that you do. Um, Bulgarian Guna said, yes, Josh, there is a number 10. It's uh, Elmilio Smithronio. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Like that and one. Even, even worse news, Phil Macker lives in Norwich. So uh, it is going to be a fight. Uh, but I'll watch out because uh, Ellis is dirty. He's a biter. His missus told me that. He's a dirty biter. It's kind and, of crazy, crazy to think, though, that that shirt number's up for grabs in, in the manner in which it is at a team like Arsenal, in my opinion, based on yeah. who's there and, and maybe, you know, who we might be looking at. It's kind of kind of crazy, considering some of the players that we've had who've operated, you know, in that role over the years. Well, I'm right thinking it was dormant for a few seasons. It, it, for three, oh, two, two? Yeah, I can't Before think Ozil came? Okay? No, Jack Wilshire had it before Sorry, Ozil. not uh, Jack. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Pr- prior to Jack, I didn't think... I thought it was vacant. Danny's probably got all of those stats. But between Burkamp and uh, Jack Wilshire, who had the number 10 shirt? We should have been retired. If, if, if mm. Birmingham are retiring the number 22 <laughs> shirt for that kid that went to Dortmund... We should retire the number 10 for Mr. Dennis Burkamp, the man that this podcast is named after. Come on. There we go. They've come through. I knew why I'd forgotten. I'd blanked out the memory. Gallas. I, for- I forgot Gallas played for us. <laughs> there has been no Everyone forgets that Gallas yeah. played for us. There we go. It's Gallas and Van Persie. There we go. There's two players that I've blanked out of living memory from me because <laughs> I don't consider them Arsenal players. <laughs> Um, uh, Femper says uh, we cannot go a whole season with the manager being asked about Urzel every single week it's draining for the fans let alone the boss we know who's to blame there don't we Josh Left quiff oh yeah this is all Simon it's the only question he turns up to the press conferences with is what's going on with Meza Ozil and can I touch Meza Ozil and just like in Shooting Stars they wouldn't let it lie he wouldn't let it lie I think he's done a really good job of diffusing it. I don't feel like it's been out there for us as much because we've been, we beat Liverpool, we beat City. You know, he's been, if we were losing in those big Mm. games, I think he'd become a bigger issue. Mm. But I've kind of forgotten about him. Yeah, one way or another, on the field, we've made the talking point bigger than Meza Ozil. (laughs) (laughs) Beating City or Liverpool and losing to Spurs and Aston Villa. Question for you from Noir Confidential. Our academy has produced great midfield and offensive talents. Why do we, as well as other English clubs, have such a problem with producing or identifying good young central defenders? Is it a case of clubs relying on systems rather than individuals? Good luck with that because I've got no idea. I think I think it's a case of clubs relying on marketability and making money and monetizing. And they think that if they put certain players into certain roles, that they can then promote selling shirts or promote that particular player in certain markets. And this is where I think, and I'm a huge proponent, proponent of the five subs, there has to be at least two homegrown players or two players from the academy. Because I think in order to ensure that Arsenal's culture is sustained, this is why we've lost our DNA a little bit and our culture. We lost that core of the Adams of the world, the Keowns, the Winterburns, the Dixons. But then that was taught and translated onto the Vieiras and the Burkamps and the Pirezes and the Lundbergs of the world and the Thierry Henrys. 
and Fabregas even. And and so I think it's really important that we promote young players. If they're good enough, they should play. But I also think that one of the reasons behind it is um, marketability and monetization. It's my opinion. Josh, do you want to have a little tickle on that? Yeah, I think nobody, no youth academy brings through an entire squad of positions at any one time. You'll tend to find that they bring out you know, they have like a spate of forwards that come out and then a spate of midfielders. And yeah, we for a while we haven't brought central defenders in, but then that's because we've relied so heavily on technical players that you tend not to get centre-backs out of that because if they're good enough defensively, you know what? We've had a need in defensive midfield. The last half was Carl Bartley, currently um, got promotion with West Brom last night. And yeah. we have um, Ajayi from Charlton, had him for a couple of years, another decent one who's play- also playing for West Brom. So we've had a couple, but not really been given the chances, have they? Mm, but no, are they but good enough? Just, that's the thing, exactly. Uh, we've got Medley, who's sitting in the back backgrounds. This season seems to not be necessarily his season, but we'll see next year. If we get into Europa League, we've got those kind of games where you can blood young players. That's a potential, I think, for him to come through. But as you say, let's just go through our forward line at the moment. That's currently what we've been producing. We've got Saka, Nelson, Smith-Rowe, uh, Nketiah, Balogun, Tyrese john um, Balogun. Balogun is one yeah. that I really hope stays. Mm, I hope so, but we have to sell Nketiah because that's his, That's the problem. He's blocked. Mm-hmm. We have to sell Nketiah to get Balogun in. It's that toss-up because that's what's taking. That's the player that's taking his game time, to be honest, uh, through the middle. So, yeah, and I think that's the problem. We're just bringing through forwards at the moment. And what will happen probably, mm-hmm. I say in probably 10 years' time, what will probably happen is we'll have this question, but people will say, why aren't we bringing in forwards? We keep bringing in defenders. We've got loads of defenders and we can't find a forward on the transfer market either for love nor money. It, it just, it's cyclical. It's just what happens with youth academy football generally. Do you think that possibly quite a few of the big defenders that have been sold that haven't come through have had time in the lower leagues? Do you think that kind of makes the man, as the as the saying is, that come through the academy? Because academy football is ruined now with this Premier League One and Premier League Two and all that other stuff. I don't think it's like the old days where you would be playing and plus the rules they brought in where you can only have two or three over 21-year-old players. In the old times, the reserves, you would everybody could play in the reserves against all the other teams regularly. You had the cups and all those other things. I think if you want to, if you're going to play a few league, like Maguire, didn't he come up through the leagues with Leicester? Uh, no, Maguire, he was at Hull. Well, and before that, that, I want to say Barnsley, but I'm not sure. But as you say, like um, if we think of the England centre back partnerships or just defensive partnerships. Carl Walker came through at Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say Danny Rose was at Sheffield United Sheffield as well. United, yeah. And then, yeah, most of them have all done their time in the lower leagues and come through academy, rather than come through academies. But then we saw players like Eric Garcia. He came through an academy. John Stones came through, as you know, that's a bad example, because he came from Barnsley. Uh, he didn't come out of Everton's Youth Academy. We came from Bolton, and he does look like yeah. he doesn't talk about when it comes to getting stuck in. But that's just about giving you know a decent loan. You know, we could get the same thing from say, um, 
to be honest, I don't want to put too much pressure on Medley, but he is our only centre-back prospect at the moment, other than Ballard, I think, is the other one, who was on loan at Swindon this season, Danny? And we've got the memory. other he's on loan in Ireland, um, who's been extended for the rest of the extended season. So, Yeah, so I think it's all about seeing how the loans work instead of saying, oh, this player's done great things when they're at an actual club. I think it's all about the system and building partnerships. That's the key thing. Partnerships. Partnerships is what makes a centre-back pairing. Van yes. Dijk might be a great mid, uh, great defender, but put a partnership with me in the middle of a central defence. Liverpool aren't keeping clean sheets, trust me. However much I rate myself. <laughs> I'm not a great de- central defender. And, and his um, trajectory changed when Lovren didn't start every game with him, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. He's a fact. Uh, as soon as you find a good partner to be with and you build that partnership up, you know, Koscielny mm. and Mertesacker, from our point of view, the fact that Arsenal worked so well with our, you know, big back four and back fives because they were so heavily drilled. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a bold and old O'Leary and then it was Adams eventually coming in for O'Leary that we had that yeah, kind of... It was Adams and Bold and then Bold came in to replace O'Leary. Oh, uh, there we go. You look how hard yes. it is. Look how hard it is to follow up when you <laughs> do find great partnerships. Look at Man United yeah. since Vidic and yeah. Ferdinand, um, and and you know they've struggled. They've struggled in the new era yeah. under Moyes and Van Gaal, and they've not really found a perfect partnership at mm. the back. And you could argue a little mm. bit like us, a little bit like Liverpool. They've they've had a great front line, some really talented players mm. at, at, up front, um, but if if you can't defend, you you don't win anything. I mean, I say that Manchester City f- have been able to do it because of p- possession, right? Different type of um, different type of football, but at the end of the day, you still have to have de- a great defense and a great goalkeeper. Edison has been good for City, and he saved them. De Gea was great for to- for for um, for United for a while when their defense was lacking, but now he's suffering and he's exposed because the defense is crap. So he's more exposed. Um, we've managed to gain points this season because Leno saved us. And to be to be honest with you, everyone should be raving about Emmy. I mean, he's been unbelievable coming into a situation, so much pressure when we're on our knees. And the fact that he's performed the way he has, what a leader he has been um, for us. So partnerships, um, rhythm at the back is so important. Trust. You can see now our players really trust him. They, you know, they, Tierney didn't trust Kalasinac after that bad pass against Tottenham. That was it was over in that game. Trust is so important. Josh brings up a great point about partnerships and trust. It's it's huge. Just talking about the thing, Maguire spent one season in the Championship with Sheffield United, three seasons in League One with Sheffield United before being sold to Hull for two point five million. And then we all know where he is now, a giant big slab head. Right, we need to move this on a little bit, if that's right with you two. Yep. So yep. coming up to the two-hour mark. Certainly is. Wow. We've got the minutes. Um, yeah, my right. fault. It's probably my fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone asked a good question. Who do you want from the playoffs? I think it was Thunder Road asked it. Here we go. Josh, who do you, we've talked about this beforehand. Who do you want to get promoted out of the two um, non-English teams and the two English teams? <laughs> Uh, I would like to see Brentford come up, to be honest. Bit of a change. Uh, we've seen all the other teams uh, recently in the Premier League. So, yeah, it'd be nice to see Brentford. Sophie, who would you like to see come up? I really wanted Forrest. 
So I don't yeah. know anymore. I, I wanted, I mean, imagine Leeds and Forest both coming up. That would have been great. So now I just don't care. There you go. Michael Hahnemann's chucking a bit in there about he's, he's a Stevenage man. He said he was in the Sheffield United side that got spanked 4 0 by Stevenage. Harry Maguire was. I'm going to imagine the next message is going to be shit. <laughs> uh, no, he hasn't had anything. Oh, yeah. Loki says Brentford. Uh, Don Juan says he wants Nottingham Forest. Dear no, idea. Forest are out of it now, I think. Mm-hmm. They, yep. they, the horrific result the other night was so sad. Mm, it was. It's uh, for the show. Right. Uh, we have a gentleman's nod, a lady's nod, and my gentleman nod is gone. There's two of them. One's going to go to Arteta from me saying thank you very much. And the other one's going to go to Emery. You sir had a poison chalice. As we know, just ask David Moyes. You do not take over a manager who's been there for 20 years and then it all goes swimmingly. You were the fatted calf. You were, you were sacrificed at the altar of Arsene Wenger. Good luck at Villarreal. You did some good stuff. Thank you. Um, Josh, have you got anyone you'd like to give a gentleman's nod to? Uh, this is always the thing I forget about that we do on the podcasts compared to the live show as a shout out. So I haven't got one. <laughs> What about what about Tom Selleck? Like your moustache? It's a wannabe Magnum PI. That is oh, large. What you're doing I'd right like there, to say right? that, but that's a, that's a reference I've really kind of lost on me. To be honest, I'm not of a generation to get Magnum PI. Oh my Sorry. god! Wow. Sorry. Show my age, that. Danny. Yeah, no, I loved it. That's that's uh, often uh, watched. Sorry, uh, I've I've got many many references that I've made to it, but some of them he was in Friends. Do you remember him in Friends as Monica's I... boyfriend? I have never watched an episode of Friends for very good reasons. Oh my god, just stop. Okay. I don't um, watch any show with candle after. No, thank you. you. Right. Sophie, have you got a little for anybody? Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to um the NWSL and the new at We Are Angel City, um, the new female um women's football team in Los Angeles. Um uh the women's game is continuing to grow out here, so I wanna give a shout out to them and they've got a lot of uh, owners like Natalie Portman, Eva Longoria, Jessica Chastain, Mia Hamm, a legend, and Abby Wambach, a football legend too, trying to really bring a team to LA and help grow the league here because the US women's team is a force internationally, but domestically the game really needs some help. So that's who gets my shout out today. Talking about that, many a time I spent hours on Wikipedia looking at the ladies that have played for Arsenal and looking back and have gone, hold on, they played for uh, an American team once for half for one season and then that team shut down, they've gone to another team, that shut exactly. down, and the league shut down. We need that, uh, an end to that. And a little bit like when the Premier League started in 92. The old Division 1, it was good, people loved it, it was legendary, but the Premier League came in and money was everything. And that's what helped build build the league. And that's what women's football needs too. So without that, it's not going to happen. I agree with you. Right. So there you go. Again, there's Sophie's YouTube channel that she does with Amanda and Kevin Campbell. This week they had on uh, in Stone. I think he said Ian Snow. There's no such person. Stone. Stone. Stoney from the Tuesday Club on. So that's, that's their right. podcast. Have a look. Go give it a follow. Uh, subscribe. Uh, they, all these social medias need to have the same thing. You either subscribe or you follow. I can't cope with one. You need. In, I'm, not, I'm not even going to go into. I'm, I'm saying no. Right. This weekend's podcast um, live show after the Watford game. Josh, I take it you've got no idea who's on there other than Jace. No, I, I'm on it. I know. I think I know who's on Watford. It was the other one, the cup final. I didn't know who else was on. Uh, it is Jason. It is yes. me. I want to say then it is 
two of Carl, Chris, and John, but it could be all three of us. All three mm. of them. Sorry. So it might there be a bumper fiver of them. Who knows? So uh, I did say this was going to be an hour and a half, but we've got those minutes from StreamYard and we're using them like greedy little piggies. All right, thank you much to John for joining us tonight. No problem, dude. Oh, bless him. That's, uh, that was me doing John in person. Thank you very much, Sophie, for coming on again. We're going to get you and Amanda to come on in the summer and uh, have a little bit of a chat. And uh, thank you to Tom Selick. Tom, you've let yourself go a little bit. Uh, what? <laughs> Isn't he Carol, like in his 80s? Please Carol. go Google him. I, I will Google him afterwards. Uh, he's the guy in the Ferrari, And then tweet right? me. Yeah, he's the, the guy in the Ferrari. Ferrari. Okay, cool. I know I that much from him. He may well have turned a few gentlemen in his time as well because he's a bloody good look. Even now, he's a oh. bloody good look. Yeah. So, uh, oh. He appealed oh. to both teams. Both uh, teams. Uh, Thunder says it's Sunday, so it's John Welsh Day. Could well be right. That is true. Thank you very much to everybody who's joined us in the chat box. Remember, go and subscribe to Sophie's YouTube channel and uh, John's as well. Yes, and ours if you want. We actually had 30 subscribers in one day because we begged for subscribers after we beat Man City. It's below us, but it, it worked because we because <laughs> people aren't listening. Our figures are no, actually our figures are dropping down to negative listeners. We had to pay people <laughs> to not listen. That's how bad things got during COVID. So we'll be back on Sunday. Thank you very much for watching. We have been a Burkamp Wonderland, and depending on how the FA Cup final goes, we could still be an Arsenal podcast this summer. Goodbye. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.